Hello, I'm Tim Crosby and welcome to episode 8 of Down the Track. Once again, I'll be joined by Sean Whip from Athletics Victoria. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's been another interesting week, Sean. Yeah, we've had um, the domestic season is well and truly underway, um, and we had a, a bunch of events to, to sort of focus on this weekend that were keeping everyone pretty busy. Yeah, each week we think, oh, gee, there won't be much next week, but uh, then the plethora of results and all the news comes into us. So stay tuned for another big episode here, episode eight, down the track. So we're actually going to start outside of Victoria for the first bit, Sean. So the mm. ACT Champs in Canberra, always a big event, isn't it? Yeah, so with the uh, Mondo track up at the Australian Institute of Sport and the sort of 600-odd metres of altitude, um, it's an event that people tend to travel to like it's a Grand Prix meet. Um, and there is a, a domestic sort of Grand Prix meet there yearly, um, but their state championships are also very well attended. Um, so it runs from Friday through to Sunday, if anyone's not familiar with it. Um, and effectively, the, the Friday night did see a bit of rain early on. Um, and I think people were a little bit worried as to, you know, this, this one sort of golden meat of the year might be rained out or, or something of the sort. But um, funnily enough, the, the rain cleared uh, right on time, I believe, for the Friday night um, sprint events. Um, and things were kicked off by a bit of a, an Australian uh, international uh, veteran uh, in Lauren Wells. She ran 55-47 for the 400 hurdles, um, which qualifies her for the World Championships That's um, on time. That's first qualifier. She's got a few, has she? Or? Um, oh, the, the sort of the summary of it that I read, um, I think she already had one from the previous domestic mate, um, but this is um, her eighth fastest time. Um, it's the second fastest in Australia, um, and it's the quickest she's run in roughly three years, which is... Well, that's a good sign, isn't it? Yeah, because she sort of had, a, I guess, a return to like fours and long jump and sort of things last year because it was a non-championship year and just to keep things fresh, I guess, when you've been doing the same event for quite some time. So it's cool to see her do well. Um, and at the same time, Connor Fry, who competes for uh, St. Kevin's uh, Athletics Club, um, he drove up on the day um, with his hurdles coach, Dan Bailey. Um, drove up on the day. That's about, yeah, what, eight hours? Probably, yeah, seven or eight hours. So just, just copped that on the day um, and was rewarded. He, um, he won his, basically, the, the fast heat. Um, he was just in front of Luke Major from uh, Glen Huntley. Um, also featured the likes of Harvey Morant, who represented Australia at the Under-20 Championships for four hurdles. Hurdles, pardon me, but um, yeah, you had fifty-one, fifty-nine for the for the four hurdles and um, about a half second PB. Yeah, that's substantial, isn't it? So fifty-one. So he's gone under the fifty-two mark. Mm. What does that mean for him now, Sean? Well, I think four hurdles in Australia have always been in a difficult place in the sense that the international standard is still sort of a, about a second down the line in terms of qualifying, and then and you know making out of heats, you really need to be a you know a really low fifty-second, forty-nine second sort of performer. But for a guy that's only twenty years old and a uni student yeah yeah he's studying physio full-time so i think you know the fact that he's juggling all that and you know he's improving over over his pet event is um, pretty encouraging to see does that get him in line for world uni games um i did not check that but we shall have to have an update on that um i believe it would be very close i, I don't think given speaking to him over the weekend he didn't seem to exclaim any sort of excitement right, okay. world but, uni, but so it might be just outside you'd think with connor that's the probably the number one goal for 2019 yeah 
yeah, I think in his age bracket, you know, everyone wants that that trip to to Naples. Um, so the good old drive to Canberra, maybe for Connery, should be driving to Albury and back before one of the sh- domestic meets down here. <laughs> Just get six or seven hours of travel in the legs and then bounce out of there. I think he got there about three hours before the race, but seemed to work pretty well. It's still not the norm, is it? And not no. what an athlete would use. No, usually it sort of be there. ideal, but yeah, it, it, in this case for Connery, and maybe with um, maybe lessened expectations, he's just gone in and yeah, just run a ripper. Yeah. yeah. Um, and other sort of notables we had on the night were uh, Melbourne Uni athlete Katrina Bissett. Um, she knocked off the likes of uh, Keely Small in the women's 800 and ran 205.57 for the win. Yeah, well, that's good for, obviously, Victorian 800-metre running because mm. Katrina will be, I think she's in the next Milers Club and we we probably see Billings and people like that stepping out. So yeah. it's hotting up, isn't it, the 800s? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, as we'll discuss later in the show with the Box Hill Classic, um, where we're starting to see more and more of that sort of women's 800 picture form a little bit um i think in the in the men's 800 it didn't didn't feature any sort of huge performances from victorians but jai parrot who was a guy who performed very well at the hunter track classic over 600 meters um ran a small but encouraging early season pb of 147 74 and i think he's one to watch isn't he sean you do talk a lot about parrot and Mm. i think yeah maybe this this is one that's on the rise in that 800 space he's still quite young and he is getting relatively consistent around that 147 148 mark and if if you can build consistency there then you know you you get in the right race in, in the way that 800s work and who knows where you could end up um, and if we move on to day two, as it is a three-day event, um, notably uh, Nicola McDermott, who's a Commonwealth Games bronze medalist. She cleared 194 in the high jump, which is a World Champs qualifier. What's her PB? Um, I believe it is 194. So she's right, improved okay. pretty steadily okay. um, over the last, well, decade, really. I saw Tarby wrote up a bit, a bit of a profile there. Now the preeminent female high jumper in Australia. Yeah, so it was a three-centimetre PB um, and the equal sixth best jump for an Australian all time. So all right. not bad to get that done on what, the weekend in camera. Patterson what, got to 96? I think she got to 96 or 97. Yep. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we had our sort of ever-reliable, I think we probably take her for granted a little bit because she is so often in the top ten in the world, but um, Brooke Stratton um, continued her season with a, a windy 670 for the win. Um, so she's, she's getting right out there in sort of the 650 to 670 range um, quite regularly. Well, I think the when you look at it, the, the long jumps probably from this meet might have been two of the big takeaways. Yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll roll into that bit next. Um, obviously, in the men's competition, um, John Boas has got quite a formidable group these days in having what is effectively the... Oh, maybe not the exact top three, but if you know, basically you've got Henry Frayne and then the next three in line are effectively, well, Darcy Roper, Chris Matruski and Henry Smith, and they all train with John Boas down at Lakeside. Um, and I think the the big takeaway there was that they all the all the boys in the group were very excited for Henry and Darcy. So Chris is obviously just getting back into jumping and, and has had a fair bit of time off after the Com Games, after what was a long season, but they were all very congratulatory of each other. So, you know, there's not like a, a visible rivalry there. Yeah, they, they're all there to sort of make each other better. Yeah. Um, effectively, um, Henry was leading um, going into sort of the final round. He, he had jumped out to 8.06, um, sort of smashing this old PB he had of 7.87. So, yeah, for anyone that's not familiar with long jump, joining the 8-metre club is a, a pretty substantial move forward. That's that's a smashing. That's, um, you know, that 20 centimetres thereabouts. Is, yeah, and it know, was wind legal, so that yeah. was a... a and, and most of us, you know, even though it's not totally au fait with long jump, you mm. know what 20 centimetres is. That, that's oh, substantial. Long way, yeah. It's nearly a ruler. Yeah, and um, basically, so Roper had the pressure on him, 
last jump. You know, he's a guy that's medalled at World Youth and World Juniors, does enjoy the, the sort of pressurised situations. Um, and he leapt out to 8.20. Um, and there's a fantastic video on the Athletics Australia um, Facebook page. If anyone hasn't seen it, you can go back and watch the jump and the crowd reaction and basically everything that went into that. Um, and one of the best bits there is the basically the crowd recognises that it's big even before the, the measuring tape comes out. Basically, he hits the ground and the crowd goes nuts because they've, they've noted that, you know, this is a massive jump. Um, masterfully commentated by um, our good friend Michael Massini, um, who's taken very well to commentating, I must say. Um, nevertheless, it, unfortunately, it was a 2.1 metre uh, wind, otherwise um, I believe it would have qualified Darcy for the World Championships. Um, usually a jump that if you land that wind legally um, out to 8.20 puts you in the top sort of 30 odd in the world. Um, so it's a, yeah, a really spectacular level of jumping to have up in Canberra. And we've still got plenty of time so hmm. you'd hope that, and particularly as you say with that dynamic in the group and uh, you know, three of our best jumpers all together that's, uh, that's a good sign. Yeah, so it moves Henry to 16th all time on the Australian list um, and he... Great comeback isn't it Henry Smith? You know, oh, really talented yeah. junior yep. and went into the wilderness for a while. Yeah, I think had a lot of sort of niggling injuries that built yep. into longer term injuries that built into you know, things you've got to fix over a, a long period of time, especially with the pressures of a jumping event. Um, but you know, that means he's the 19th Australian over 8 metres. So to you know, give perspective on how small that group is, you know, to have 19 Australians ever in, you know, Call it, call it 100 odd years of formalised long jumping. That's yeah, um, again great work from the, the masterful John Bowis. Mm, mm. Back to the women's though. Mm-hmm. Brooke Stratton, where does this place her now? Where do you see Brooke going from there? There's obviously more distance to get as she leads through. Well, uh, yeah, we've obviously is the national record holder. She's, yeah, you know, she has got uh, out past that seven metre mark once before. Um, I guess, yeah, and again, not being a long jump expert by any means, but yeah, you know, the the repeatability of those performances is obviously the most difficult element. Um, and she is someone that regularly finds herself in world championship or Olympic finals. And uh, yeah, I, she hasn't had competitive instances where she's really not risen to the challenge. So I think for her, it's it's about staying healthy. She does have a little bit of an injury-ridden history. Um, yeah, she she stays healthy leading into Doha and twenty twenty. You know, she's someone that. Yeah, you know, she can pull out a seven metre jump on the day. We'll definitely look to threaten for medals, but I guess it's just the repeatability of, of being able to leap out to that distance. Next time name down that list though is Na Anang. She's mm. wasn't that far off at six sixty five. So no. and twenty four year old, probably just starting to mature now. Yeah, it was in the I think her first senior senior sort of team was the Commonwealth Games uh, last year. So, you know, good to have someone there nudging Brooke along. You know, it's, it's not a situation where she can just turn up to a comp and put out anything. There's, there's still a, a relatively high level of, of competition there. What else have you got for us? Um, we'll do a quick run through the basically the other results. Um, so in the men's 100, we had uh, Jack Hale, who had a little bit of a slow start but came home like a freight train um, and ran 10.25 with a 1.4-metre tailwind. Uh, Trey Williams was second in 10.30, and Zach Holdsworth uh, ran 10.40, which was a 0.09 PB. Um, in the women's 400, we saw the return of Bendere Oboya, um, who's a New South Wales-based uh, sprinter. Um, and was very exciting last season. Um, and so she ran 53.62. Um, Angeline Blackburn was second in 53.97. And Ellie Beer, who is 16 years old, was third in 54.03. Um, the fours were a little bit affected, heard by what was thought to be quite a strong headwind on the back straight. So I know, you know, you're running in an oval, so it does help you at some point. But Good numbers there, though. They've got 39 going through on the, the heats there. So, mm. and, you know, lots and lots of, you know, around that 55-second mark. So Yeah, certainly a well-attended meet. Um, the men's 400, I think, sort of fell victim to... Um, 
the unfavourable conditions. Um, you know, you've got a guy like Alex Beck um, only running 46.89 for the win, so it wasn't, you know, wasn't perfect there. Um, in the women's 100, they had a 2.6 metre tailwind. Um, Zoe Hobbs from New Zealand got the win in 11.42. Celeste Mucci was second in 11.55, and Maddie Coates was third in 11.57. In the women's triple jump, um, Aaliyah Johnson um, jumped out to 13.08 with a 4.1 metre uh, tailwind and Ellen Petit uh, jumped to 12.97 for second. Uh, women's 1500, Jayla Hancock Cameron took the win, uh, a Youth Olympic Games athlete in 4.26.22. Uh, and in the men's 1500, Duncan Miller ran 3.51.64. And our, um, our, our resident Paralympic superstar, Jared Clifford, was second uh, in 3.52. Just rolling back to the women's zone, you've got Hancock, mm. who's, I think, a 17 Probably turning 17, yeah, or is yeah. 17. She's, she's beaten Keely Small in that 15, so... Yeah, so I guess... I, you know, I, I don't pertain to know a great deal about how Keeley's season works or, or race selection or things like that, but it did seem like a, maybe a little bit of a training weekend or something, was in a couple of races. Yeah, yeah, but also for Hancock, she was second in the 800 too. So Yeah, so it's definitely a strong weekend for her, um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, she's obviously at a standard where she'll feature now prominently in open events if she wants to, um, and that'll be an interesting decision come Nationals Week. Given it's it is, and you know, do you push them up too early or do mm. you just keep them back in the juniors and wait for their time to come? Mm. I just want to roll back to the 400 men as well, though. There's, yep. There was a, a huge contingent of Victorians. Oh, yeah. The best place there was in sixth place, which is Procaccino, but mm-hmm. we had six of them in the top 11. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, they've just gone bang, 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 bang. They're all running around the same times. Mm. But the Victorians just seem to be a little bit off the mark at the moment, don't they, for that national level? Yeah, I guess um, last year at Nationals we did see that that very strong Doncaster contingent of um, Rasul and uh, Procaccino um, and those boys making quite a quite an impact on, on the national open level. Um, and I guess it was notable, you know, the, the, I think Murray Goodwin ran as well in the 400 and, you know, wasn't at a level that we'd sort of expect him to be. So so there were people there that have been at a very high level um, nationally that sort of didn't feature. You know, we didn't, I don't think we had the likes. I don't know if Daniel Moen ran or not, um, but either way sort of didn't feature super prominently in terms of time um, and at the same time Christian Davis did travel up for the meet but ran the 200 right. um, and I think PB'd in that so yeah, you know, yeah I but guess if these boys pick up another second second and a half they're, they're re- the real deal but we need all of them pushing forward yeah and, and I guess we did see that at the previous ACT meet with Tyler Gunn who is a junior making the huge jump down to the 46 O's um, and I think as you've said with a lot of our running events the more people you can have in that one pocket that keep pushing everyone along and along and along, you know, it, it becomes the new normal. Mm. Um, and hopefully from there, you, know, you get someone that, that cracks into a high 45 second time or you know, adds to that relay pool. Um, but at the moment, yeah, it does look like Steve Solomon will be the, the one everyone sort of waits on to see how he'll go in terms of any sort of individual qualification in the four. Yeah, well, there's, in that race, there's about six, I know they're in, I know they're, it looks, they're spread across two heats, but 0.6 of a second separated six of them. Mm, mm. Yeah, uh, similarly, uh, the men's, the field events weren't to be forgotten up there. Um, Hamish Peacock is back competing. Um, he threw 76.95 with the jab. Um, day three was really interesting because we had a really substantial amount of co- competition internationally as well. So there was, there was a lot going on. Um, I'll run through the ACT bits first. Um, so we had uh, the men's 200, which is interesting. I, to be honest, I wasn't quite aware as to how the prelim semi-final setup was engineered. But I think there were some gentlemen who, if they were under a particular time, didn't effectively have to run the prelim and were seeded into semis, uh, which seemed fair because the guys that got to do that were 
really a, a step above. Um, effectively, uh, Alex Hartman uh, was in the final. Um, well, sort of the, the results read final first, so we'll roll through that. Um, Alex Hartman got the win in 2068. Um, he was the fastest 200 meter runner in Australia last year and has sort of held that pocket for a little while at the 20.6s. Um, Abdulli Asim um, was second in 2092, which was a PB. And Will Johns was third in 2094. Um, Jordan Shelley was fourth in 2101. And Ismail Dudu Kamara uh, was fourth in 2109. So there's that relatively close pocket between 20.9 and and sort of 21.2. How does that stack up for Johns compared to PB, do you know? Um, I don't know Johns' PB off the top of my head. It wasn't listed as a PB, so maybe he has run fractionally faster. Um, But he does seem to have um, sort of a a range of abilities through the one, the two, and the four. Mm. Um, Where, Where would you pick him, though? Where would you put... Where do you reckon he's got to concentrate as we go towards championship? I guess it's um, yeah, Fitz has always has always got a plan for him, um, and and he has sort of used I guess the four hundred as more of a strength event. I think the two is probably his, right. his prime event, yeah. um, but maybe long term, you know, that ability over the two, you know, he can mature into a pretty capable four hundred meter runner. I guess the we'll probably you know we'll find out I think first at the Vicks, which mm-hmm. isn't too far away, and then the yeah. nationals, and you might see the nationals that might be the two. Yeah, it's almost like the reverse engineering of that. You know, you see the likes of Christian Davis trying to run some two hundreds early in the season because you sort of hit a brick wall where if you're not fast enough over two, it's you know, it's not really going to happen for you over four. Um, notably in the heats, um, we did see the return of Zane Branko, who was fifth at the World Under-20 Championships last year. Um, I believe he was using that as a little bit of a bit of a hamstring tester. Um, just ran, just ran the one race. Yeah, he didn't appear in the final. No, so we just ran the one race um, and he ran 2090. Um, and that was the fourth consecutive time he's broken 20 seconds um, in his career. 21 um, seconds. Sorry, yeah, 21 seconds. Um, and the eighth time overall that he's broken 21 seconds for the 18-year-old. Um, so I think sort of if you can hopefully get himself, Hartman, Williams, Hale, uh, Johns, all those guys healthy through the Nationals, you could have a, a really exciting final with a bunch of guys under 21 seconds and hopefully pushing down to the sort of 20.5 mark. It's also good for the relay program, though, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You know, Branco did step out earlier in the season with Jake Doran um, in Queensland. They both ran a 400, um, both ran about 47 points. So, you know, for guys that were seen as much shorter sprinters, um, you know, they're, they're sort of trying to cover all their bases um, and showing a little bit of early season strength. Um, but I think, yeah, the men's 4x1 and 4x4 programs are going to be very busy over the next few years. Um, probably one of the, the biggest performances of the weekend uh, was from the 200-metre women's event. Um, Zoe Hobbs uh, featured again from New Zealand. She got the win in 23-1-9. Uh, but Nana owusu uh our, our resident Box Hill sprinter, um, she ran 23-28, which was quite a sizable personal best and a World Uni Games qualifier. So Nana was pretty over the moon about that one. Just um, some good news behind her. Yeah, Jacinda Beecher was behind her in 23.34 and Lauren Wells um, was back in 23.47, which I believe was a PB for her. So okay. I think she's run faster, wind-aided. Um, Annalise uh, Ruby Renshaw was also there in 23.50. So yeah, Nana's really rocketed herself up the list there and, and knocked off a few big names. Um, we did see uh, something that I guess at, at times has become a little bit of a rarity. Um Jacob McCory um, finally cracked the 14-second mark in the 110-metre hurdles. He ran 13.99, uh, which was a personal best. So he becomes the 21st gentleman uh, under the 14-second barrier uh, in Australia. So a 22-year-old McCory, do you know much about him? Um, I believe he did make a world junior team. Um, I think he would have been in the Poland rotation back in Bigosh. Um He's a relatively tall guy, um, and I think he's based out of 
based out of um, where have we got? We've got here, yeah, based out of Sydney. Right. Um, so it's basically him and Nick Hoff will probably keep each other company in pretty much every single domestic race for the year. Well, that's good, and yeah, you know, hopefully they can push each other, and we might see it say come nationals, it mm. could be you know um, better, you know, yet again under that fourteen second mark. Oh, definitely. Um, and another, you know, that example of people pushing each other along was definitely evident in the men's triple jump. Um, I believe the world championships qualifies about sixteen seventy, so you need quite a quite an enormous jump to get yourself out there. Um, but for this early in the season, um, Elwyn Jones returned to competition um, and jumped 16.30. Um, that was actually on his first jump. Um, and Julian Conlay uh, was out to 16.14, uh, which was a personal best. Uh, and Emmanuel Fakir jumped 16.07. And Shamiah James was also out to 16 metres as well. So to have four gentlemen over, over 16 metres in the one comp is very exciting. Um, I think we had some other notes here. Yeah, we did see Michelle Jenicky step out in the hurdles and around 13.47 into a headwind of 0.5 uh, for the win. Abby Tadeo was second in 13.59 and Letitia Willis was third in 13.60. So, interesting to see how Letitia will go moving into that, that open pocket there. Well, she's not wasn't that far off second, was she? So, no. you know, it's, she's within body reach of these girls so mm. that might be enough to, you know, when we go to national champs and, you know, obviously she'll come through the state system as well. That, mm. um, who knows? Yeah, it, it's you know, anytime you do have a World Junior Championships the year before, it is it is quite fascinating to see how that group then rolls into their sort of open transition. Um, and you know, depending on your event, that can be very difficult. You know, for often say distance events, it's a very it's still a very big jump from twenties to to opens. Or in some sprint events, you know, some people might be a little bit closer to making that that transition. So uh, any other highlights? Well, I think the, a lot of our attention otherwise um, was focused uh, away from that um, and was more so focused overseas. Um, we had, of course, the uh, the Milrose Games, which is a, a huge event held at the Armoury um, in New York, which is, is quite indoor. a famous track. Yeah. It's an indoor track, so it's a 200-metre banked track. Um, the meet was hyped very heavily um, for a gentleman from Ethiopia, Yomif Kajelcha, um, was making an attempt on the indoor mile uh, world record. Um, unfortunately for Kajelcha, he missed the indoor mile record by one hundredth of a second. Ooh, close. <laughs> yeah. So the um, the mile world record, indoor mile world record, is is held by um, is held by Hishmel Garouge, who, if anyone's not familiar with him, was a Moroccan gentleman who holds the world record for both the fifteen hundred, the mile, uh, and two thousand meters, um, and basically won everything within sight. Well. To be fair, the Olympics was his one little wobble. Um, took him three goes to get that, but nevertheless, basically crushed every 1500 or mile time available. Um, Kajelch has been an absolute revelation since he appeared as a junior. You know, he's a, he's a guy with personal bests over 1500 of you know, 332. He's run he's run 728 outdoors for 3000 meters. He's run 1246 for 5000 meters, and he debuted over the half marathon recently and ran 5917. So his range is. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, the record itself was 348.45. So you need roughly 55 and a half seconds a lap, um, or close to 56 actually, which which is you know, not, not easy to do. Um, and he ran 348.46. Um, and if you check sort of any of his social media accounts um, online in terms of Instagram and those sorts of things, um, there's there's basically a look of anguish on his face as he looks across at the clock and realises yeah, he's you've got to think, just well, missed it. How many chances do you get at it? Yeah, yes. indoor miles, I don't think there's a, there's a huge amount of them. Yeah, he's um, he's got one more attempt lined up in about a week um, at a place called Boston University who are quite famed for... Um, basically the 
the angling of their track. So if anyone's not familiar with the 200 meter bank tracks, there's there's not a set um, basically bank at which the, the track should sit. You can sort of calibrate it to what best suits your needs. Um, and Boston is one that's relatively steep. Um, so if anyone has any interest in centripetal force, feel free to have a bit of a Google. Um, basically, there, there's a debate as to at what angle it's it's most beneficial. And, and Boston is a place that's got basically the most sub four miles in the world. Um, and everyone seems to run incredibly fast there. So chances are he might have a real red hot go. Do they get mm. paced in those events? Yeah. So he, he did have a guy, um, Rob Napolitano, who is an American as well. Um, he, he paced for, he, he was set to pace for close to a kilometre. Um, but there was debate that Kajelsha got a little bit excited in the sense that, you know, he's a guy who's obviously in incredible form, that, you know, there were camera crews and everything there sort of chronicling the, the event. There was, there was, you know, there was palpable pressure. Um, and he actually sort of kindly pushed um, Napolitano out of the way at about 700. Um, and if anything, he was he was bang on for the first 400 um, and was a bit fast through 800. He was probably, probably a second and a half fast through 800. So that might have been, you know, when we're talking about hundreds, yeah. maybe that early that sort of push on because he sort of got slower for each lap from there and then picked it up for the last yeah. lap. And is that the point at which he pushed the pacemaker out who was doing a good job? Well, yeah, I think the pacemaker obviously felt the pressure a little bit of Kajelcher on him. It wasn't as if, you know, hard to say if any words were exchanged, but there was sort of the debate that Kajelcher might have just told him, yeah, look, thanks, I'll, I'll take it from here. And, and you know, that enthusiasm sort of rendered the record attempt quite difficult. But um, how they approach Boston. Mm, on the more relevant front, um, Australians performed phenomenally. Um, we had Ollie Hoare, um, who's from New South Wales. He's at the University of Wisconsin. He was six hundredths of a second outside um, the Australian indoor mile record. So he ran 354.83. Who holds that one? Uh, Mark Fountain holds oh, it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Morgan McDonald went to number two on the Australian all-time list in running 7:42.76. Um, Pat Tiernan ran 7:48.36 in the same race, and Jack Bruce ran 7:57.71 in Washington. Um, I believe Izzy Bat Doyle ran about 15:40 yep. in the Big women's PB 5K. Big PB. Um, and Jess Hull ran. She represents the University of Oregon. She ran 8:53.91, which wow. is the fourth fastest Australian time uh, indoors. She just continues to mm. keep going on. Hull, this is you know, look, it's exciting when she sort of comes back and does some domestic stuff. True. Tech point: the Washington track is oversized, so I'm not sure how that factors into. It no. doesn't count for records, but it's up there. Um, and Jemima Russell from Victoria ran 205.90. Um, she's a freshman at the University of Southern California, um, and that puts her 14th on the NCAA indoor list. So if she can stay in that top 16, she uh, she'll make nationals. So a, a rather rather jam-packed weekend, um, including, I believe, I don't have the results in front of me, but off the top of my head, uh, Stuart McSwain had another sub-750 run um, in France, in Metz, and Jordan Williams was second in the 1500 in 3.41. So, look, if anyone is a big fan of their athletics, there's a lot going on indoors overseas, and the IAAF actually is live-streaming for free. Um, all of the World Indoor Tour meets. So even if you want to go back and watch them on YouTube, they're all available. If you just type in World Indoor Tour. I think there's three meets up there now which you can go back and watch everything you like. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks for the wrap there, Sean. So Not big week in Canberra mm. and obviously overseas. So that's a bit of a, a general wrap on sort of the major events that uh, happened over the weekend. So we gave the... Australian World Cross Country Trial, quite a little, well, quite a lot of kind of coverage in the last episode, Sean, but uh, we had some great interviews too, so mm. well done to Lisa for getting those and Tarby for helping out there too. But one that 
sort of escaped the net, which is probably not unusual, was Harry Summers. Luckily, we could uh, pin Harry down at the Box Hill track at uh, mm. the Classic, and we had a good chat about the World Cross and you know making the team and his, his aspirations. And yeah, as we said, Sean, in the last one, this team could do well, mm. but it's probably it could be you know someone like Harry might be the linchpin because we know that we've probably got your, your solid performers like your McSwain's. Yep. Tiernan might have a little bit of work to do to get back to where he was for the last one, but but yeah, he's, he's performed very well over the half and the, the 3k um, recently, so I think he's sort of pulling it all together at the, the time you'd require, but um, yeah, I guess he hasn't featured quite as prominently in the previous season that he belted everyone in Uganda. Well, that's right. Now, you know, Harry's run in Canberra was to me, it was a, a bit of a standout because he was up against the you know, Rainer and Robinson. And mm. I, I think Brett, to me, ran, you know, I wouldn't say beyond himself, but that, that surprised me how he dominated that race uh, ahead of Jack. And uh, But Harry was always a factor, which is good. So we did have a chat to Harry about what it means to be selected and also what his aspirations are when he moves towards the World Cross Country in Denmark. Harry Summers, firstly, congratulations, World Cross Country selection. Great run there in Canberra. You would have been very happy with that one. Yeah, um, I mean, that was. I was so happy when um, I got the message that I was in the team um, for the Australian cross country uh, team. Um, it's been a. It, it was a while before I. Uh, I went up to Falls and uh, a few years and I started training with the MTC boys up at Falls Creek for four weeks, uh, leading into the cross trials and I was um, I was at the front front of the group so I, I was, that gave me a bit of confidence uh, going into uh, the world cross trials and, and after that um, I was on a high and thought I'd do the 3k and you know obviously you know doing the world cross set me up for for this for this 3k as well with the world cross so harry you couldn't not be selected you ran yourself into that team it was brave running uh, you weren't going to let uh, robinson and rainer go so yeah. you deserve that spot yeah. you would have known that when you're coming off the course yeah yeah um uh it, it wasn't 100 percent certain but i mean i was confident that i was gonna i was gonna get selected because it was a it was a close you know top three um there wasn't like a massive gap in between us so um, I was, you know, happy that I was behind, you know, for only four seconds behind Rayner, and who was a, you know, he's a Commonwealth Games half marathon um, champion um, and a 61-minute half marathon runner. So, but but Rayner's style is to kick home. So being only four seconds behind, that indicates too that you've now got a bit of a finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, since I've I've changed groups and I've gone to Steve, he's he's got me on like a real. Um, you know, it was a great uh, introduction to like uh, you know base training, speed training, and and we've also been working on my uh, my kick at the end. So um, it definitely uh, you know if you d- practice um, on your kick, it definitely helps. So leading now towards Denmark, what what are your realistic goals leading into the World Cross Country? Have you got a position you're looking for? Is there a position um, with the Australian team you're looking for, or a time? What is it you're looking for when you go to to the World Cross Country? Well, it's hard to go for a time because you know the cross country is the courses are different all the time. But um, I would love to get first Australian uh, across the line. Um, I'd love for us to get like top five in the team um, and yeah, I try and 
I would try and get top 20 in, in the world, yeah. Yeah, well, when Sean and I sort of discuss the whole scene in cross-country, we we know that Australia in the men's can be realistic looking at the top five, but it's going to need someone like you to step up and take it. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we've got a team of, you know, uh, Stewie McSween, a 13.04 guy for 5K. You've got Brett, Ron uh, Brett Rons, who's a 13.15 runner, Patrick Teen, a 13.13 runner for 5K. So... We've got all these quality runners. Um, we just got to put it all together on the day, and and if we can all get like top, you know, top 20 in the world, then there'll be a you know top three chance. So good luck to Harry and the rest of the team. We'll be tracking that one, Sean, as mm. we sort of approach. But uh, well, I suppose the other big thing we've got to announce there or talk about is that they did um, announce <laughs> the six juniors. They did, which. Seemed a little bit odd because there were protests on both the, the boys and girls side in the under 20s and I don't know, for what seemed to be a relatively expensive collection of statistics from, you know, sort of rather wise coaches that pointed out that, you know, this top six were well ahead of some previous top sixes. Um, you know, for, for a selection board that had previously picked six for a couple of championships in a row and it seemed to be quite a positive little junior development spot, um, yeah, they reverted to four and... People, you know, were up in arms and up sort of arms. rightly so. And just yeah. a revolution. Yeah, and then, yeah, rightly so. We've, we've now got six in, in both teams, so yeah, it's well, really good I, to see. I suppose when you look at it, it is a, pretty much a self-funded team. So well, yeah, there's a, there was listed a two to three thousand dollar levy for the juniors. So yeah. I, for what is basically a one-day race and yeah, you know, a trip that's not a month or anything. Um, yeah, that's right. It's a five-dayer. Um, yeah, it I seemed a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, one little snippet I heard too, though, was that you know most people are probably aware that we mm. Australia are bidding for the uh, world cross country in 2021 mm. um, venues changing virtually by the day mm. uh, but uh, there was that little bit of pressure well hang on Australia if you want to take the 2021 championships at least, least send full teams to Denmark oh, and at the same time you look at I guess similar-ish um, Western nations. You know, Great Britain are notorious for being extremely stingy on opens, which they remained. Um, but, but then at the same time, yeah, they're taking it up. full teams <laughs> for juniors. So yeah. I think if you've got nations that are historically very tight on who they send, um, you know, I sort of just think if, if you've got the juniors there and they're paying for most of it anyway, yeah, as we pointed out, previous um, you know, types like Fashioni and Mazadani and those types weren't ones that you know shot the lights out at the trials, but uh, have, have been you know really outstanding performers as they've got a bit older. And it's yeah, yeah. it's not causation or correlation. It's not to say that that was the one thing that kicked them on, but you know, gaining that sort of international experience and travelling and competing against the best in the world is invaluable. I wonder if Great Britain was um, you know stung into action by a bit of criticism on Down the Track podcast. <laughs> look, I don't know the, the, the range of our, our power, but look, we'll, we we'll, can, we'll we cross our fingers and see what happens. <laughs> All right, so that's uh, a wrap at the moment on the, mm -hmm. uh, the World Cross Country Trial. Interesting that they've gone to the six juniors. Uh, great to talk to Harry Summers about it, and uh, let's look forward to a big event in Denmark. Thursday, the 7th of February, Sean, Box Hill, perfect night. I think it'll go down in history. I think I <laughs> believe people will talk about this meet for a long, long, long time. Yeah, look, the stars did seem to align for one event in particular, um, but we'll go from the top. Um, 
What have we got there? I do know we've got uh, a few decent interviews. So which one would, would, would you prefer to start with? Well, let's start um, with Harry Summers mm. and we'll we'll hear... Straight to the top. Let's go straight to the top. And what, what we're going to hear now is Nick Wall uh, talking through yes, well, the relevance of this performance. Harry Summers tonight has broken Steve Austin's club record by three seconds. So for any of you who know a little about Steve Austin, that is a phenomenal achievement. So Harry Summers, a three-second club record there at Steve Austin. Mark Stewart, it's time to update some boards inside. So Harry Summers led a very good field through in that men's 3,000 metres. Five guys under eight minutes. Uh, and I actually cannot recall the last time I've seen that in, in Victoria, let alone Australia, Sean. Yeah, I think we've got to take our hats off to uh, Lockie Aspinall, who um, had run an 800 that night, um, St. Stephen's Harriers uh, competitor, um, and sort of took one for the team and, and helped pace things. And there were two other pacemakers um, who sort of kind of tried and, and didn't quite really get the, the MO there. They're a bit all over the shop, but um, Lockie kept the kept the train rolling along to 1,200. And, you know, it is difficult in a race where people are asking for faster than eight-minute pace um, because if you're going to have, you know, that level of race on, often the people who are best suited to pace it would prefer to be in it. Um, so we did see uh, a very strong starting list in, in the terms of, you know, Harry Summers, uh, Matt Ramsden, James Hansen, Ben Buckingham, Sean Tobin, Riley Shaw, Tom Forthorpe, Will Potter, James Coleman, Nick Earle. You know, the list goes on and on. You've even got Andre Waring. You know, there were, it was a yeah, really stacked three good in there. So 7.50 was the target time, uh, and that's the pace they set off. Um, mm. Aspinall, as you said, did a great job doing that. So in the end, we had Summers coming in in, in 7.51, mm-hmm. uh, 7.51.63. It broke Steve Austin's Box Hill Club record. Now, that's no mean feat because <laughs> Steve Austin was um, yeah, a legend of mm. the time. Back in the 70s and into the 80s, he set that record. 7.54 was the previous club record at Box Hill by Austin. And that was set in March 1980, I believe, in Brisbane, um, or 81. So it goes back 30, you know, nearly 40 years. It's, it's a long-standing record by um, you know, a, mm. a cult figure, basically, yep. at the Box Hill. So for Harry to get that, I know there was a lot of excitement around the Box Hill track that night. Yeah, and, and I think the, the way in which he took off when the... When Lockie Aspinall stepped off. You know, he was he was definitely a man on a mission. Um, and whilst he did maybe tie up a tiny bit um, toward the end, um, I don't he, know. He had it sealed. I d- yeah, I don't know whether he might have snuck under seven fifty uh, if he didn't have the Vibrams on. So if anyone wasn't familiar with Harry's usual footwear choice, he did have a, a patch probably six or seven years ago where he wore the. Um, yeah, the minimalist vibe. Min- minimalist shoes is, is yeah good look at it. They're basically a, a glove with toe bits on them um and yeah there's there's no spikes in them so look to run that relatively barefoot is is pretty uh, pretty phenomenal well, well let's hear from harry you know about the relevance of the race the race mm. strategy and you know we talk a little bit about the pacing as well harry summers 751 tonight for 3000 meters personal best for you uh, yes, personal best. Um, uh, three k- I won 3k milers uh, last year in uh, 8.01 um, and you know, very happy to also get the, uh, the Box Hill record as well, uh, which was 7.54. Um, yeah, let's talk about that because for old timers like me, Steve Austin was an absolute iconic runner of his day back in the 70s and through to the 80s, yeah. uh, the $6 million man he was called. <laughs> and his time, 7.54, he came from an era of great Box Hill runners. Yeah. You've now eclipsed that. You must be very proud. Oh, uh, very proud. I was actually here on Thursday and I was looking at the 
uh, him on the records, and um, I think he's run 13.21 for 5k and 27. Yeah, you know, 50 for 10k, amazing runner. And I saw his 3k time is seven, I think 7:54. Uh, I thought, oh, I think you know, if I have a good day, I'll, I'll get, be able to give that a shake. So, thought I'd I'll go out pretty hard in the race and and hope to get the record. And 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 did yeah, it was great conditions. Aspinall did a bloody good job of pacing. He'd run an 800 in the A race before, and I was really surprised at how good Aspinall looked over those sort of opening laps. He was very yeah. calm and composed, and he had you guys right on the mark. Yeah, yeah. So he, he did awesome. Um, the first couple uh, laps, he it was uh, you know perfect uh, splits. He was going around nothing in 63s. So he did his job. Um, uh, and so I had to do the last five laps on my own, which you know I, I thought well if I can just I'm you know like if I can carry on this pace, I know there's going to be a bit of a gap between the boys and and um, and be able to shake them off so I thought just keep going at this pace and I'll be able to you know get the record and get the win as well. So Matt Ramsden came home strong but uh, had just got dropped by Harry a few laps out and had mm. a lot of bridging work to do and sat in the pack with with Hanson and also Buckingham that foursome you know or Summers out front were, were doing the work so in the end the chase pack was three uh, Ramsden's the one who emerged out Hanson made a really good move at one stage and looked like he was going to take second position but Ramsden had a barnstorming finish but Ben Buckingham also, you know, he's come through what's what's seven fifty four zero zero. I think it's a real it was a real balancing rope. But balancing act there for the for the chase pack because they were aware they were on for quick times. So you know, you, there's that inherent feel that they don't want to let the pace slacken. But at the same time, Ramsden was the one that was sort of stuck at the front of it, um, in the sense that Harry took off. So, you know, he was in a spot where yeah, he didn't want to lose his shot at sub eight, but at the same time, he I think was a little bit frustrated that the guys behind him were quite happy to sit in and, and, and wait for the closing stages. Well, Benny didn't want to do it and didn't have to. He just sat there in that fourth position <laughs> well, the given, whole way. Given he, yeah, given he ran about a about a nine second PB in in yeah. getting there, I think you know for for a guy that's usually quite a quite a calculated um, at times conservative racer, um, you know this was a, a big risk for him, um, and he did sort of note after the race that. He was a little bit worried three laps out because it was probably the, the roughest he'd felt three laps out before. Well, that's right, and that's where the question's asked. You know, mm. you've got just over a K to go. You're starting to doubt yourself, but mm. uh, he just was able to hang on. Yeah, and they all closed fantastically they as did. well. It was I think they were all sort of 60 to 61 seconds for the last lap, which, sure, you're already running 63s and a bit, um, but at the same time to have that little bit in reserve to pick it up and for Rams to throw that move up the straight and for Hanson to be challenging as well, it was the crowd was well into it. Well, I think, you know, knowing the mind of a middle-distance runner, mm. when you're going through at the bell and you're seeing on the clock that you have got 60-odd seconds to get there, you're yeah. thinking, we've got this. And then the excitement oh, level goes through the roof. Yeah. You think, well, okay, I've really got to stuff this up. And fall in. Yeah, I think they needed... Yeah, I think at the bell, they, they would have had to have run an excessive 68 seconds to, to miss running, you know, the, the sub-8 time. So, yeah, definitely, Tim, there's that part of you where you go, oh, okay, I've got this in the bag. But at the same time, you think, oh, God, how, how quick could I run here? Well... In the end, the times were 752.67 there for Ramson in that pack, then mm. 753.98 for Hanson, so another PB there for James, 754.00, as we said, for Benny, mm-hmm. and Sean Tobin, the Irishman, 759.64. He was the biggest of the last laps, though. He at one stage got passed by Riley Shaw. Mm. He had the most work to do to get that sub eight, and he did it. It was a pretty big finish from um, the Irishman there in Sean Tobin. Yeah, I think he has run, um, he's broken eight minutes indoors before. 
um, and sort of speaking to the guys in his group, he was maybe a little bit frustrated and maybe, yeah, the race didn't, maybe he couldn't quite hang on for as long as he wanted, but yeah, definitely didn't die wondering and um, put in a huge last lap. Whereas sort of on the other side of it, whilst Riley Shaw was having a fantastic run, I think it all caught up to him a little bit in that last lap there. Yeah. And I think probably Riley's ruling the fact that he did lose contact with, with Tobin. Had he been that little bit closer when they hit the bell, mm. it might've been worth a few seconds to him. But, yeah, you know, big race there for that. And, and it was a magic thing to watch, um, you know, five of them going under. And, you know, as you said, conditions were absolutely perfect by then. Yeah. Uh, the crowd involvement, you know, back straight, front straight at Box Hill was awesome. Similarly, a nod to our, our office pal, uh, James Coleman of St. Stephen's Harriers, who, who broke the, the 8.20 mark and got in uh, got in there for ninth. He ran 8.19.90. So a, a very encouraging return from some Achilles trouble for him. Certainly was, and uh, good to see James back out there. Now, in the women's race, Nat Rule, uh, similar sort of effect here, but um, it wasn't the leader who took it out. It was mm. the girl who, there was a pack of four, simple yep. as that, pack of four, uh, right from the gun, basically. Four of them just going out there and carving pretty good time around that 9-10 uh, schedule they were looking at. Uh, but in the end, uh, Rule made a really, really nice break, mm. and she ripped apart, uh, actually, one of the Japanese, we still really don't know who she was. She was just entered, I think, last last minute as a um, as a pacemaker and she actually doesn't appear in the results but we had rule take it out in 908.76 oh yeah, that's weird uh, <laughs> Harika Hironaka from Japan was second in 909.95 and a very familiar face in Victoria at the moment Tara Palm the South Australian 911.52 for her yeah so Palm did um, did drag things along there for quite a while um, and really kept things going in that last sort of I guess 800 metres as well um, I believe the Japanese athletes that are over here at the moment featured in that race are part of the uh, under 20 um, women's team from Japan so obviously we're looking to get a decent race in and were very very appropriately um given a given a spot at um the box hill classic and you know obviously had a fantastic race to be a part of there we then dropped to Corbell 9.33. That's sort of thereabouts for Abby. Nothing, yeah. nothing too special. Yeah, I think from, from what she said after the race, it was it was a little bit tricky in the sense that, as you said, given the pack that formed right from the gun, you had to make a decision almost instantly as to whether you were trying to run 9.10 or trying to run sort of kind of your own race. Um, and I think for Abby that was maybe just a little bit of a jump too far in terms of a 9.10 run. Um, so yeah, she sat back a little bit there and, and sort of kept things together well for a 9.33. But, but also quite a few PBs just behind that. Let's get back to Nat Rule, though, because, you know, she's an interesting one. She dabbles in a few different distances and mm. sort of, you know, she's had a long career. She's been around um, as a junior and now kind of stick up senior ranks uh, and yeah, doing was, that quite well. was always a very promising junior, but w- was often just very, very fractionally outside those those Australian junior teams. Um, but credit to her. Um, you know, hasn't, hasn't been discouraged by that and has, has kept chipping along there. Well, as to the race itself, let's have a listen to Nat's strategy. What's your PB? Um, 9.24, I think. So you've crunched it out there today. Yeah, I have. I'm excited about that. Now, look, that lead group of four, it just worked perfectly for you, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. I only knew yesterday that I was going into that, but worked out well. Yeah, now, the, you know, the girls shared the lead a bit. You sat beautifully in that fourth yeah. position, and I think Nick Wallard picked it. You are going to make a move at some stage, and uh, you made the move at the right time. Yeah, I felt pretty comfy. I didn't want to go out in front just in case because I don't normally go that pace. <laughs> so just sit in, make the break. She did it well. It was a decisive break, and as we see, 9.08, rewarded with a big PB. Where to from here? Well, Nat's going to tell us that. Now, with that time, you've got to be thinking, well, sub-nine minutes, 
you'd have to be there. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. But what about events for you? Because you're dabbling in a few different things. Where where does Natalie Rule go from here? I think I'm focusing at the moment on the 15 because I haven't done that for a while, like a good time since Nationals. And what sort of time goal are you looking at there? Um, my best time is 4.16, so hopefully around, I don't know, 4.10, <laughs> I'm hoping. In the 800 action, Matt Scott took that one out uh, again, but a little bit different this time, Sean. He had to do a fair bit of the work out front. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, Matt will go on to speak about this, but he does enjoy racing himself into shape. And I know his coach, Bruce Scriven, has been really happy with how he's been training lately and, and seems to think that it's sort of just a matter of time until he makes a bit of a breakthrough. Um, but as we've seen at Milers, I think the, the Milers 800 metre club record, I mean, uh, sort of meet record sits around the 148.7 mark. I think we've had Alex Rogo hand-timed yeah. at Melbourne Uni and Steve Nucky's around about that as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if Matt has a real good... Yeah, so it is, it is rare to see someone under 149 in, in what is a, a, the equivalent of, you know, a, I guess a high-level club race. Um, and, yeah, to see him go 148.96 um, was, was really encouraging. And he really attacked that, that, last, that last 150 metres. Certainly did. In the women's event, that uh, also brought the house down a little bit, didn't it? Exciting race. Yeah, I, I don't know what um, whether Georgia Griffith has had any sort of niggles or any trouble over the off-season, but you, but you have to think that something might have been up there. Oh, there's still. been issues. And then yeah. as we talked to um, as we talked to Morgan, we hear about some of that. Uh, okay. Yeah. But um, exciting race because the pacemaker... Katz Navarkas did a, once again hats off to pacemakers. Katz, um, she said she was really nervy going in because she had to do a 59. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, and she looked good. Uh, got a little bit of a break on Morgan, but it was not a break where, you know, sometimes you'll see the pacemaker get to get 10, 15 metres up. It was nothing like that. It was just a bit of a break, but it gave Morgan free range to move into the gap and following yeah. her a little bit behind was Georgia. Yeah and I think for what is the first 800 Morgan's been in that's had a pacemaker um, and whether the emphasis has really been on hitting that sort of 59 to 60 second time I think they came through in about 60 seconds on the dot um, and she's run almost 59.5. Oh okay yeah. yeah and she's run almost a three second PB there in, in getting down to 203.93 so yeah she's always seemed to have been very open with the fact that this is a, a long term sort of project to try and move up to the two lap distance and she doesn't expect it to all happen instantly but you know to make that jump down from 206 and to have run a 206 in Canberra the week prior with a, a huge negative split going sort of um, 65-60 um, point for both um, yeah it's, it's encouraging signs for her 800 career I think Reading between the lines, the target on that night, given the conditions were great, mm. was the sub-204. Yep. Um, they, both her and Liz, you could tell there was a, a sense of relief when they heard the time, the final <laughs> time, uh, because that was the target. So let's listen to Morgan. She's going to go through what the, well, basically a race recap, but mm. also the pacing strategy. Morgan Mitchell, 203.93, there's a big smile on your face. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Um, we're training like we're in that shape, if not quicker. So it's just nice to get into the perfect race and do it. <laughs> didn't want to go any slower. So. Well, Catherine set a really good pace, didn't she? And you were just that little gap back from us, so you yeah. had room to move. Yeah, um, I mean, I talked to Kath before. She said 60, and I was like, you know, let's go through 59, and she did it perfectly. Um, I think her cadence was a bit quicker than what mine usually is, so I thought, relax into it. Don't try and sprint a 59, because that'll feel like a 51. 
Um, but yeah, we, we nailed it. I'm pretty happy. So thank you, Kath. <laughs> yeah, but also for Georgia, that was a good run too, because you had the power and the strength, but she was just getting that stride pattern going over the last hundred. You probably didn't know it, but she was coming at you. Yeah, I could hear everyone screaming for her, and I thought it was quite exciting, especially knowing we're two different athletes. And um, her journey, I mean, I saw her in the pool, you know, early December. So to come back and run a 204 for her is just incredible. Um, I take into account that all the girls that are running the eights are well and truly experienced, so it's nice to get out and race them. Well, you would have gone past her training squad up that top bend, so yeah. there would have been a lot of noise going past there. Yeah, you've got to kind of just pretend that they're cheering for you, even if they're not. <laughs> so it's good to see and to hear Morgan animated, lively, loving this. There's a lot of good stuff going on with Morgan at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think we've touched on maybe once or, or twice in the show before that she's someone who has had periods of sort of falling out of love with the sport, um, and for her it's always been about that, that enjoyment or, or what motivates you as opposed to mere sort of times or teams. You know, she's someone that I think knew she could continue to make teams at a world championship or probably even Olympic level um, for the 400, but, you know, is in that to challenge herself and, and has shown that with this move to the eight. And it was really good to chat to her too about her progression uh, and also the importance of the squad that she now finds herself in. So this is a very in- animated interview and I think you can everyone should be able to just sense the joy with which she speaks. Now the, the progression, you must be pretty happy with the way you're going with the eights. Yeah, I mean it's the hardest training I've ever done to be honest, hands down. Um, but we're getting there. I think for me it's mainly just belief and confidence. Um, if you can put that together, the fitness, getting used to the tactics, you never know what you can do. So. It's cool. It's exciting. And you're now part of the Matthews family, I believe. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I'm the golden child. Sorry, Luke. But uh, step aside, there's a new Matthews in here. <laughs> well, we're seeing all the stuff on social, and you, you're really giving him a good run for his money in training. Oh, you know, it's just an in-the-moment in thing. Uh, I'd like to say that I've clocked him over a few, but I definitely haven't. Um, you need to watch him train, you know. He he definitely just plays it off very... What would you say? He's quite calm about it, but he's a bit of an animal. People just don't really see it. So, yeah, he's a bit of a bit of an admiration for him, but let's just keep that one out of the paper. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the dynamic of the training, though, it obviously suits you. Yeah, it does. There's a mix. You know, you've got someone like Luke who's won an international medal, runs on most diamond, runs in most diamond leagues, and then you've got kids who are breaking Vic and Australian records, and they might look up to me, but it's quite inspiring knowing 10, 11, 12-year-olds can actually do that. It's, it's exciting, I think, for everyone. But what we're seeing, though, is right then going to the D races, the E races, the F races, kids from that squad are all doing well. Yes, I think it's good because we're all um, very supportive of one another and, you know, at the end of the day, we want to run fast, but we also, we do definitely want to have fun because that's what keeps you in the sport, so... Well, automatically when I said that, the smile on your face was quite broad. Yeah, I, don't, I just love them. You kind of, I mean, I'm like, what, 100 now? <laughs> so I treat them like my own ch- children. So, um, But it's just nice to see that they're rocking up and going through the motions and getting it done. I think it's awesome. They're very, very mature. <laughs> well, Morgan Mitchell, once again, well done. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> Sub 204. Yep, that's what we wanted. Thank you. <laughs> so it was quite remarkable when doing that interview that when starting to talk about the squad, starting to talk about the juniors in the squad, automatically, and she didn't even know this happened, a massive big smile on her face. So to me, that's that's a great indicator that, gee, this girl's in a good space. Yeah, and, and I think with Liz's group, she's got a lot of a lot of boys around that sort of 15 to, to 18-year-old mark in, in sort of varying ability ranges, but for someone who's trying to be a, a really sort of top-end 800-metre um, uh, women's runner, um, that can be almost a perfect combination because you've got a lot of guys who are running around sort of 157 to 2 minutes, so you've actually got a really substantial amount of people to do sessions with and, and get pushed along just enough that, you know, you're not being completely blown out in sessions, but you've always got someone to chase, um, which from what I've seen on you know, Instagram and Facebook and those sorts of things does seem to be the pretty much regular case for Morgan. 
Let's not forget about Georgia, though, because it, you know, it was a good run. Mm. You know, she didn't uh, quite get onto the back of uh, Morgan early enough, but coming down the home straight, there was a challenge going on. So, you know, she's had a, you know, a few ups and downs over the summer period, uh, mm. only just starting to probably get into full training now, I, I believe. So I think that, um, you know, certainly don't discount um, Georgia, because as we start to get to the business end of the season, we're going to see that, you know, people like Morgan and her have still got room to move. Yeah, g- given how automatic Georgia was in that sort of 201, 202 range every time she stepped on the track at, you know, Milers or a, or a sort of that, you know, club domestic level mate, um, I think that'll be something that she'll be working back towards. Um and I think, you know, we, we haven't seen anything of Brittany McGowan um, this year. I think she's she's got some injury trouble. Um, and, you know, Keely Small still seems to be working through a few bits and pieces. And, and you know, Carly Rogers has, has probably been the... Oh, Carly Thomas, I think it is. I don't know why. I always confuse that. But um, uh, he's sort of getting back to that level as well. But, you know, I guess we haven't had really had anyone crush through to that sort of 201, two-minute run this early. Um, and, and with where, you know, we've always spoken about, you know, there's that sort of perennial hunt towards the two-minute barrier. Um, hopefully, you know, we get everyone in that group healthy again um, and they can all push towards that together. Talking about the the general depth of this meet and why people will talk about the meet for a long time, the women's B was running one in 208.49 by Brito Bapapuli. The women's C was one in 2.13 by <laughs> Campton. The women's D was one in 2.18. Um, I think that was... By Hayes. Hayes, yeah. So, gee, you know, two eighteen winning a D race. Yeah, we really, I think through a lot of those races, um, including the men's and women's three k as well. You know, you were seeing times that would usually be comfortably within a first heat or comfortably within a second heat. You know, a heat or two lower and and winning or being in the top two or three. So, yeah, the depth was really outstanding there. I noticed as well we had um, Jack Davies um, made a made a return in the three thousand meters as well. Isaac Hockey. Isaac Hockey, Will Lewis as well, ran about yep. a 40-second PB. <laughs> cr- sure, it was a bit of an old one, but um, yeah. he's, he's really jumped down there. But, um, yeah, if you if, if people sort of flick down the results there, you know, you, you're going down to the, the B race being one in 8.21, 8.22 for second, 8.25 for third. Yeah, that B race in men's, I think we sort of overlooked that. Um, yeah, 8.30, you only got your seventh. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, know, you get through to the... You get through to the C race, and Jack Davies is one in eight thirty-one, yeah. and and you've still got a, you've still got what's that? You've still got fourteen guys in the C race under nine minutes. Um, you go down to the D, and you've still got five guys under nine minutes. Yeah, eight fifty for the win there for for Craig Tate. Um, it wasn't until we got to the E race where you know we, we had um, Ashton McDonald run nine twelve and, and, and it was Zach a great Hunter. race too. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they were all great grinder. races. Yeah, you still had three people there under under nine twenty. So yeah. yeah, I think the the depth and the I guess the response there from the athletic community to, to get down and have a crack at what was a, a really well organised mate was was fantastic. Yeah, and there was also really good action in the two hundreds. And um, the, I, I heard there was some talk. Oh, should they have the two hundred this mate? <laughs> I would recommend keep them in because. Yeah. It was half an hour of action. Uh, Nick Wall did most of the calling. I think of the eight races, I think 
the winners, six of the winners had PBs. Yeah. Why not go ahead with that? Half an hour into your program, it was between 5.30 and 6 o'clock basically, so early on in the program. Yeah, very and, quick and, to and get make, done. And look, no huge names in it, but um, gee, the performers, is eight PB, uh, sorry, six PBs, plus all the others running PBs in that. Mm. You know, you've got to stick with that sort of thing. So in the 200 action itself, let's have a look at the um, the leader, or sorry, the winner in the A race there was Anastasia Purcell, bit of a 400 metre specialist, Sean? Yeah, dabbles in the four and I think the four hurdles as well is, is a regular on the on the state team. Yeah, so she's run 25.33 to win that from Tess Kersop Cole. Uh, Wednesday Shield was uh, in 26.02. So Anastasia just goes over her race for us. 25.33 Anastasia Purcell, nice win there in the 200 metres. <laughs> Thank you. It was just lucky that it was really good conditions. It was nice and warm, which was good. Now 25.33, your best is what, around 25 minutes? Uh, 25 seconds? 25.27, so nearly there, but I'd like to crack 25 soon, which would be good. Now stepping down from the 400 to the 2, that's obviously part of the plan as you go through to the business end of the season. Yeah, try and get the speed up for the first 2, but still feel it in the 2, so we'll see how the goes. <laughs> well, well done today. Great racing. <laughs> Thank you so much. So yeah, 400 metre runner sitting down into the two. Obviously, there's there's plans that um, she'll move back up as we go into the sort of the more championship side of mm. it. But good run there from Anastasia, and as we said, some great running in the B, C, and D heats of the twos for the women. Uh, the men's 200 taken out by Tom Willems from Old Zabs, uh, 22.52. Second was Cooper Smith from Glen Huntley, 22.86, and Tom. Ten, uh, sorry, Tanjevic, Tanjevic uh, from Sandringham, 23.04. Had a chat to Tom, but unfortunately it didn't record properly. Nah. Um, <laughs> I think my first oops there with the recorder. Mm. Never mind. Tom was talking, though, about uh, how he's moving through to state championships, mm. and he wants to win the thing too. So, I, you know, I like the attitude, <laughs> just to go straight to the top. Yeah, he is. Um, he sort of first appeared as a 200-metre runner uh, in the All-Schools Championships back in Adelaide, um, but did run a, a really stellar, um, I think it was about 47.7 at the APS Championships for 400, and I think surprised a lot of people in the, the strength he showed there as someone who was known as a 200 runner in almost sneaking the APS record. So it be very interesting to see how he progresses through the States. Correct. So, look, a big congratulations to the Box Hill Club. We won't name individual names behind it. You know, they know who they are, but Box Hill as a club have done some pretty remarkable things this season to continue and to provide competition opportunities. And as we keep saying, other clubs are probably looking over the and fence saying, we can do that too. Well, why not? <laughs> they also had... Um they had a, a gin and craft beer bar there, which they actually did 100% properly and got a, got an RSA for. So, you know, this was this was really uh, orchestrated superbly on a on a number of fronts. Well, I know, and um, co-commentator Nick Wall was taking advantage of that, and obviously the commentary <laughs> was very merry as the uh, commentator yeah, towards the tail end of the night, which did you know we started at 5:30 and finished about a bit after 10 o'clock, and um, calling some of the final races was a bit of fun. So well done to Box Hill. Yeah, it was a fantastic meet. Uh, it all just came together beautifully on the night. I talked to a couple of the athletes about what this meet meant to them, and Matt Scott leads off just talking about how he needs these races and you know, what they do for him. Now, this is the first of these Box Hill Classics that's gone ballistic. What do you think about meets like this? It's great. I love it. So put it together with our Milers clubs and it's not a bad sort of... Um, it's amazing, because like, getting those races consistently, on, you know, training hard and running a race after that, like, it's great. Because obviously like, if you're running, I find personally for me the best way to improve is to race. 
you can't race, obviously. You're not going to improve or like nationals, nationals comes around. You can't, you don't race much. You're not going to run a fast time. So uh, running regular, I think for me, is the key to running fast times, nationals and big meets. And Sean, I think, I think we should give the final word to Harry Summers. Harry talks about, you know, his performance but also how important that Box Hill meet was for him, breaking a record at Box Hill in an event organised by his coach. Pretty special day for Harry. Yeah, given he sort of first seemed to come back in earnest around our cross-country season in, in 2018 and was getting absolutely thumped across the park by sort of two to three minutes by people that he was used to beating, um, you know, he's, he's always been a phenomenal talent um, and, and it's awesome to see him finding that consistency and, and, you know, it appears to be really enjoying his running again. Um, the, the sky really could be the limit for this guy. Correct. So, look, once again, big congrats to Box Hill. Well done to those individuals. We won't name them all, but let's leave it up to Harry Summers to round this one out. We had five guys under eight minutes in the race tonight. I haven't seen that in Victoria for a long time. Probably harks back perhaps to the Austin era. Yeah. So are you feeling like you're part of something special now? Oh, it's amazing. Like, uh, I thought, you know, being, being Steve Deneen organising the race and him being my coach and, and Box Hill, my club, I thought, you know, it'd be fantastic if, you know, we'd get guys going under eight minutes and we could get the, you know, Box Hill record at, at, in the Box Hill track. So, you know, it was an amazing day and it's, it's, it's you know, something pretty special uh, to do it in the, you know, the actual Box Hill track as well. So. I totally agree, Harry. Tonight when Nick and I were calling this, we could just sense something special and I think that word really sums it up for the night. A special performance, not by yourself only, but by many others and, and congratulations from Athletics Victoria and I think I'll echo your comments about how well this organised, or how well organised this meet's been and what it's done for both the, uh, the 200 metre runners, the 800 metre runners and now the 3k runners yeah oh it's it's been fantastic and uh, you know Steve, steve's done a great job box hill's done a great job and it's great conditions and all the events are on time and and ready to go and um you know great great turnout as well there's good um crowd of people here and you know just just a great day a great night for for racing well done again harry summers big performance thank you so some good walks action over the weekend too, Sean, in Adelaide at the War Memorial Drive. It was the Oceania champs and Australian race walking champs over 20k. Let's go to the women's race. Katie Haywood, what do you know? Um, oh, what well, was a world junior team member, I believe. Um, it has sort of been, you know, any time at Oz Juniors, I always try and keep an eye on the walkers and have a chat to all the you know, coaches and parents because I know sometimes they're a group that get overlooked. Um, but not by us. Not by us. No, this is this is definitely a name that um, I have to thank the the Piets, um, of Ballarat for giving me some comprehensive history here. But um, always a name that's popped up as, as that person that's been miles ahead of the field um, and has really just been obliterating any junior comp she found herself in, um, and did break, I believe, the under twenty um, ten thousand meter track record yep. um, if I have misspoken I apologise sincerely to the race walking community but um, our, our very own Jess Rothwell was actually up trackside in, in camera when it happened the previous um, record holder yeah the previous record holder um, and as Jess would jokingly say you know she was an athlete who basically went to everything bar the Olympics um, and you know had a career that was a little bit cut short by injury but even you know 
from Jess's perspective, she said, yeah, um, Hayward is a, is a, you know, sort of the next big thing, effectively. I know it's a cliche tag to throw on people, but she really showed that on the weekend. Yeah, well, she's a junior coming out, and mm. this is a 20k race, which is an endurance race. The winner was Sandra, Sandra Lorenz from Colombia. There's a there's whole swag of internationals out here at the moment, which is yeah. fantastic for we, Australian walking. Uh, Australian yeah. race walking does provide, you know, one of the sort of premier competitive options for, for, this, uh, for this event. Yeah, and well done once again to our walks community. It, as Sean said, you know, often sort of forgotten about, put to the side, but gee, you know, we know that internationally how important it is to us, and they seem to be able to organise some bloody good events because oh, the internationals come here. It's where, it's where your high performance funding comes from. So. Well, that's right. So, yeah, so Sandra took that one out, but um, Katie Haywood was in second position. Mm. Um, she was less than a minute behind the Colombian. Yep. Um, bit over a minute behind Katie, though, was Jemima Montag in one. Mm. So Haywood's time, 129.25 for the 20K. Mm-hmm. Most of us can't run that. And Jemima no. came in at one thirty fifty one. So it's a competent time there for Jemima. But um, looks like Katie, you know, she's another big name coming through. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's definitely an event group where Australia has produced at an international level for a very long time. And, you know, this could be a name we see a lot of for many, many years to come. Yeah, so Queenslander, um, nothing wrong with that at all. But, um, but look out. <laughs> yeah, look out. Well, it's probably good for Jemima, though. Yeah, true competition here. Uh, yeah. Domestically, this is hopefully going to bring the best out of both of them. Now, in the men's, uh, Perseus Karlstrom from Sweden took that one out. Good name. 1.20.05, so right on four-minute K pace. Oh. Uh, yeah, and second was uh, Dane Birdsmith, our own uh, Olympic medalist, mm. uh, in one twenty fifty two. Now Dane had a pretty big lead early on. He went through, I think, ten k at about forty seconds up. Mm. But uh, I think he's coming back from a few little niggles and issues and things like that. And in the end, Dane said he was very, very happy with that performance. So Perseus mm. uh, Carlstrom's come past him uh, in the latter stages and put a bit of gap on him. But Dane one twenty fifty two, he's happy with that. Ida Aravalo uh, from Colombia. Mm. Was also in the field and he was third in 121.36. So good walking there from our walks community in Adelaide and uh, you know, another big event for them. Moving on now to the uh, pros, VAL. A couple of meets to cover here. Parkdale <laughs> on the 2nd of February. And the gift, Luke Stevens has come out for the 120 gift and taken that out, Sean, in two, off the 2.75 mark in 12.429. That's a competitive uh, run there for Luke. And um, what do you think? Well, when the, the big question has to be asked. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for him. I'm, I'm happy to see um, you know, him running well in the, in the pro leagues. But when do we get to see him back on the track? Well, let's see. Maybe at the championship race? Oh, I don't know. You'd think so. If there was any reason for him to pop back, surely the, surely the state champs would be one. Um, yeah, we do have the, the inside word with just checking on the computer who's entered. I haven't done that this week, but I might have to do that when I get back to the office. I, I certainly hope he's entered something because um, he's really he's had a string of wins sort of strung together there um, for a lack of a better sentence um, in the pro world. So very cool to see. Yeah, or maybe he's just running himself into form before <laughs> he starts to hit um, uh, the you know, Athletics Victoria scene. The 70 metres was taken out by Jason Bailey, uh, the regular name we're reading at the moment. He was off 5.75 and won that in 7.59. One of our favourites, so Drew Rodriguez Chico, Chico came second in that one to Jason. In the right women's name. gift, Ebony Lane off 525. Frankston she, athlete? Yep, she was 14.078. Took out the 120 gift. The 300 for the women and masters, Daniel McDowell, I think Doncaster, 61 metres, and she ran 35.455. The 400, Mozeed. 
Former oh, side champion. Oh, yeah, in the 100, I reckon. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100 hurdles. Yeah, yeah. maybe. From yeah. like Williamstown? 110 hurdles, yeah. No, no. Williamstown, Box Hill. Oh, Box Hill. Of 30 metres, he took the 447,884. Mm. 800, Luane Burnett in, off 58 metres uh, in 155. The women's, Meg Dean, seeing a lot of Meg at the moment. She's racing quite a lot in AV type comp. Mm-hmm. And uh, she took that off 66 metres. She was 210.20 and rounding out the long distance. And it was Ashton McDonald. We mentioned Ashton before. Big run in 3000 at Box Hill. Off 190 metres, Ashton took out the 1600 in 4.07. Moving to Ballarat a few days later. And the gift for women was taken by Jodie Richards. Jodie is absolutely cleaning up this season. So <laughs> off 1225, 14096. So mm. Jodie would be eyeing off stall, I reckon, uh, big time. Although, do you want too many big performers leading in or do you want to sort of... Well, I spoke to our, our resident Valor office man the other day about this and his, his assertion is that in Victoria it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty set in the sense that uh, I think people get an interpretation in Val that you know if you run marginally faster, there's a there's a massive difference in your mark. Whereas Tom did quickly point out that Victoria is very regimented in how it works, and it's actually quite difficult to to be rendered you know an, an absolutely ridiculous change in your mark, and unless effectively you've been underperforming since day one, um, which then makes your big improvement look even more scandalous. And you, you know, stall is a is an event that is very harsh on that, and you know yeah. tries to make it a, a very legitimate um, oh, arena. They're, they're protective of their reputation. There's no doubt. Yeah. You, you don't want people turning up to win, you know, at the time, what is multiple thousands of dollars in basically jogging around for, you know, the year and joining up mysteriously and then just trying to knock it all off its stall. They're, they're not, you know, they're not going to have the wool pulled over their eyes after having run the event for that long. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, if you're running at that level, you're sort of a, a known quantity if you're picking up a lot of these wins. So it'd be very exciting heading into stall. Yeah. Uh, did I read something that the prize money might be coming down first? Or did I, I don't know. I'm not sure. follow that up for the I'm next. I'm not sure who they're... Um, if they've still retained major sponsorship, used to be Australia Post. Yeah. I don't know. We'll soon find out. Yes, we will. Um, in the 120 men's gift, it was a Bikramjeet Singh off 11 metres in 12.509. The 70 metres, Jason Bailey again off 5.25. So same mark, and he ran 7.6. So, yeah, so... Yeah, same, same there Pretty for similar. Jason. Yeah. yeah, 400 men. Les Williams took that out uh, off 90 metres in 48 seconds. 400 women. It was Sophia Figuera off 11 metres in 54 seconds. Not a bad little performance for Sophia. Mm. The 800 went to Lauren McHugh in off 154 in 150. And the 16 was Brad Kitto off 95 metres in 410. So that's a bit of a roundup there of the VAL action over the last week or two. So we had uh, a great camp here a couple of weeks ago in Melbourne, Sean, and uh, Lucifer Stratton took the opportunity to catch up with a couple of our star athletes, uh, Luke yep. Matthews being one of them. And what we're going to do over the course of the next couple of editions of uh, episodes of Down the Track, we're going to be releasing these in digestible chunks so mm. that they're not just long, drawn-out interviews. Yep. And um, getting a little bit of commentary on what those athletes are saying and talking about. First up is... Luke Matthews, you know, obviously a bit of a flavour of the month, Sean. Oh, yeah, yeah, has... I think he's gone through basically every level um, that we see amongst, you know, from everything from a promising little athlete through to a promising junior through to someone who had a break and played footy for a little while. 
back to someone who was at a World Junior Championship level, made a semi-final, um, and has now actually made that jump um, through to seniors in, you know, pretty remarkable racing conditions at times, you know, running big PBs behind the likes of David Radisha, um, even last season just before getting injured, you know, winning the international mile at Prefontaine, you know, he's He's, he's done sort of all the, the standard sort of, I guess, apprenticeship bits of trying to become a big international name. Yeah, so at the camp, um, Lisa sat Luke down and talked about, you know, the various aspects of being an athlete, you know, because this is what the, the juniors at this camp need to learn about, that, you know, that life as a professional athlete per se is not such a bed of roses. Yeah, so he was talking to um, what Athletics Australia have labelled as the emerging squad. Um, so he had, a chat, he had a chat to the distance group specifically, which is um, all girls um, in that emerging group. Um, and, yeah, pointing out that, you know, obviously a, a number of things, but if, effectively going from that very structured school training racing lifestyle um, to, you know, not only having a less structured setup with university, but effectively your main source of income becomes how well you can run, which is a completely different dynamic. A little bit of pressure too, isn't it? So also you might hear the voices of Adam Diddick and um, Rod Griffin mm. uh, coming across in these interviews. And we, as I said, we'll be playing these over a few weeks because there's some really good content. And, and even if you're just a casual follower of the sport, it's interesting to hear what the life is like. Uh, and the first topic we're going to actually broach will be about management mm. and, and also sponsorship. So who, who's your manager? Um, Might as well start there. <laughs> Total Sports. So is a, a guy called um, Stephen Hass and Chris Lane. Yep. So in Australia, I think they manage um, George Griffith, Maddie Hills, and I think Jenny Blundell. And then like worldwide, it's like um, Melissa Bishop, the, um, like Andrew Bouchard. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's a pretty decent company. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they're able to get you into the races you want to get into? Yeah, so um, I, he only started managing me about a month after World Champs in 2017. Um, and then um, I didn't really need any management leading up to Com Games because mm-hmm. it was all in Australia. Um, and then after that, um, I got into, you got me into Prefontaine, Stockholm Diamond League, Prague, like all these world challenges. And then I ended up breaking my foot, so I could only went to Pre, which is fair enough. And then, um, but now he's in the process of renegotiating my contract with Nike and potentially other brands. So, yeah, yeah, he's pretty decent. Yeah, okay. So yeah. you're gonna stick with Nike if you can, or just looking for the um, best deal? Yeah, it's just that I, just, I really don't know uh, at the moment. I'm I'm not really sure. Just renegotiating. So how long does that how long would that take to get through? Um, I'm hoping it's done in the next couple of months, but it could take six months. Yeah. Yeah. And your manager just does all that for you. Uh, yeah, I've just, I, I like to know, I'll message him all the time and say, like, what's happening? But he um, he's probably getting a little bit annoyed at me, <laughs> asking all the time. Yeah. yeah. So have you had any other offers on the table? or? Um, yeah, there's, there's, like, offers from other brands. But um, with the whole rider refusal thing, it pretty much means that Nike get to look at every offer that comes their way and they have the opportunity to match whatever yeah. happens. So just say, hypothetically, you know... Um, Deodora come up and say, here's a, not, I'm not saying I'm worth this much, but say, here's a million dollars. Nike have the opportunity to match that to the exact dollar figure. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that what I said to you at Come Games? The, the yeah, you still said no. Oh, <laughs> yeah. if, they, if they make good enough, if they make good enough shoes and spikes, but I don't think they have enough. 
<laughs> yeah, but if I had good belief, they gave me a million dollars. Every man's got a price. <laughs> I'll write in songs if that's the case. Yes, exactly. So it looks like there's some interesting times ahead for Luke in negotiations there, as he detailed. And, you know, every man has his price. That will be an interesting one to see where he goes. Or, you know, my tip will be he'll stay a Nike athlete. Uh, but let's see where, you know, 2019 will take him. Yeah, I guess if, if anyone does have a particular interest in, you know, it's a, it's a very... It's a, bit, it's a bit of a cloak and dagger world because pretty much every athlete who signs a contract worth enough to live off, effectively, um, will sign a non-disclosure agreement, which it, you know, is understandable from both sides. It means shoe companies can pay people different amounts for different environments. So, you know, we've heard in passing that the, the current number one and number two 1,500-metre athletes in the world um, were both paid five to $10,000 US for their first year of, of management by or, or sponsorship by Nike, which is peanuts compared to what you would effectively have to pay for a top say u.s talent um you know if anyone's curious you can look up uh there was a guy boris berrian um who had a bit of a contractual dispute between nike and new balance a couple of years ago when he was world indoor champ and it came out that his base salary was one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars u.s a year um but as i think luke sort of foreshadows to there you know nike contracts are quite ruthless um, and I know in Berrien's case there was a clause where if he didn't compete for 180 days um, his contract could be terminated so you know it's a it's a world that you know if you go from being a junior and everything's hunky-dory and you're making teams and it's all good fun to thinking you've got money to having no contract you know, effectively you've, you've got risk factors that you've never even had to consider. Well, it's the harsh realities, isn't it, uh, of the mm. world they inhabit. And this is, you know, when you talk about the, the mentality and the pressure on some of the elite athletes, this mm. is what they've got to deal with because uh, most of them do not have income on the side. Uh, yeah. A lot might be relying on parents or mm. grandparents. Yeah, and, and people talk about, oh, you know, take your time, you know, don't rush injuries, get back in good time. But, you know, if, you, if you've got to pay bills, if you've got to, you know, try and feed yourself, there's, um, you know, maybe not to that extreme, but... There's definitely financial pressures that come into that decision-making. Now, we're going to hear from Luke now about some of the practicalities of life on the road and also a few of his plans for 2019. If it's not a rude question, with your management, so they get you into Prefontaine, do you have to pay your way to get there? Um, so usually the way that the European, Ameri- European American and like even the Asian circuit works is um, they pretty much... So like the company will pay for your flight straight up um, and then the accommodation is usually sorted by the. They usually have a like an affiliate, so like I don't know, so like Sydney Track or whatever, it, or Melbourne Track has it with like the Blackman or whatever it is. So um, they'll put you in their accommodation, and then usually I think down the track um, the company will invoice the meat for your flights and stuff, and then or you might just get like say they'll say here's five hundred dollars for flights from X to Y and yep. use it how you like. So usually if you're good enough and you want to and you. Got want to go to these meetings and they want you there, they pay for your flights and accommodation and your food as well. It's like a dining hall and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. So will you plan to go over to Europe after, like later this year or? Yeah, so my plan at the moment is to go to Flagstaff yep. for maybe a month, six weeks or something like that and then go to Europe after that, so. So you'll stay with your manager? Um, they have a setup in Belgium, in Leuven. Okay. Yep. So yeah, I'll just go wherever they have hotels or apartments or whatever it is yeah so do you, you so talking about flights just so everyone i don't know if you girls are so familiar with all this so 
does it interest <laughs> you to hear all about it? Yeah, I thought it might. Right. So who who pays for you to go to Europe? Will that have to come out of your pocket or will someone else put the bill for that? Um, on the whole, yeah, it comes out of your own pocket. You might be able to get lucky, say, for example, you fly from like a meet like a Prefontaine and you go straight and do something like an Oslo Diamond League, which are they're relatively usually close. Um, and they might say, you know, we'll give you flights, which help but on the whole there's not many people to get to do you know the two so yeah if you want to go to Europe um, it, yeah it comes out of your own pocket yeah okay yeah so it's pretty you might get a little bit of help from say your NAS funding or VIS or something like that but on the whole it's yeah out of pocket pretty tough sport it is pretty tough sport yeah. I've heard people say to me before that um, and this was some years ago now so it'd be like having a $20,000 credit card now I suppose that they'd go over to Europe, they'd clock up $20,000 worth of debt while they were chasing races and then they'd come home and they'd have to work and pay it off. And then it was Groundhog Day again the next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, some some management works like that as well. Like if they, if um, say my old management and I'm pretty sure a lot of other people do that, they, um, you know, they'll pay for your flights up front um, and then you'll eventually pay them back with your earnings eventually. But... Um, there, there'll be other play, like where they pretty much loan you the money almost but there'll be other times where um, you'll have to pay it like straight up front and then there's other players that sorry other management where it's like that they'll look after your races and your contracts but everything else is up to you up to you yeah and there's, there's certainly a point too where depending on what event you're in how you're ranked in that yeah. If they want that, they need to fill people, then they, there's a chance you can be offered flights. And all yeah, and I think even yeah. to get to Europe, and it's, it's, um, yeah, I think that's that's a hard thing to sort of recognise when you're planning it out because you don't yeah. know if that's going to happen. And sometimes yeah. that happens very late. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's hard to say, oh, I'm going to book my flights to Europe for three months in advance when yeah. it's cheaper because sometimes you just don't have that. Yeah, and, so, and sometimes you can go over to Europe and stuff like that, and um, you don't even know, like, I've, I've never been in this situation, but some people don't even know if they're going to be in races or what's going to happen over there. So it's uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, no. unfortunately. Now, life on the road isn't you know all that great. It you know it might sound you know, really wonderful that you're in this city, then that city, and then another city, but it's a business trip for these guys. It's not a holiday. It's, they're not tourists, and you know they're they're not taking you know the bus here, there, and everywhere. They are there for their job, which is to compete. Yeah, you know, it must be exciting. You know, you look at the, the Diamond League calendar and it's some of the probably mm, most sort of, I guess, high-end tourist destinations in, in Europe. But often these athletes don't see anything outside of an airport, a shuttle bus, a hotel, a warm-up track, the racetrack, and, you know, maybe one restaurant and a coffee shop. Yeah, that's right. And the rigours of travel, you know, if, it does get to you after a while. And you can imagine then layering on top of that the fact that you are, you know, trying to compete at the very highest level. We're just going to hear from Luke now a little bit more about the management and that whole con- topic of conversation of how long do you stay overseas? Mm. So when you're sitting down and you're working out um, your races that you're going to do overseas, do you try and string them all together so that it's as cost-effective as possible for you? So um, try and get flights from one place to the next. Do you sit down and plan like that? Um, well, my well, I've kind of yeah recently changed managers. So the way that it was in my old situation was um, 
I don't like the the rhyme with rhythm was all decided by him, but it was more just you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, and um, it's it's actually a, a, sometimes a good way to go about it because you don't have to think and it's just all out there and whatever happens. But the way that it happened for me, say in 2018, was um, I knew that I was going to go to Flagstaff sometime in April May, and then the plan was to go over to Europe in about end of May June, and then um, you know race the whole European circuit. So um, I think maybe in October, November of 2017, um, there was like a, it was like a thousand dollar return flights to America. So me and mum were just like, let's just get them. So we have them, book them out straight away. So that was, yeah, I suppose a cost efficient thing. And then pretty much when I was in America, I didn't even really know my European plans, what races I was in. So we just kind of all worked it out on the spot. But I think on the whole, managers do look pr- pretty far into the future, at least two or three months in advance and e- even further. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'm in, I'm in a bit of a lucky situation where I, you know, have a decent manager and have a decent coach and stuff like that. But for the, you know, the people that are, say, you know, on that cusp of qualifying, they have to really work it out and be nitpick and, you yeah. know, get deals and work it out in a way so that it's um, it's cost efficient and you're also going to get the most out of your time when you're overseas. Yeah, you've run, you've run yourself into a position of privilege, haven't you, really? Yeah, through yeah. yeah, I suppose. But then as well as that, like... Like I said, my old manager, he kind of picked me up when I was like 17 years old. So I got a little bit lucky, but at the same time, I've, I feel like I've proved myself since then. So, yeah. 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 Do you feel that there's a bit of a, a time, a, what do you feel is the max time you want to be away? You know, that you've just had enough of racing and living out of a suitcase. Do you, um, do you ever get to that stage? Yeah, certainly 2016 and 2017. 2016, I pretty much gave myself fatigue. So I ran myself into the ground. And by the time I got to Rio, I was like, I want to get out of here. And then 2017, different circumstances. I was getting to that point and then I left my coach and then it was just like, I've been overseas for five months. I'm ready to go back overseas. But what I said to my mum this year, um, I said, I'm more than happy to stay overseas for five, six months at a time. It's just that I just want to be in a situation where I'm relaxed and I'm in my own space. So I'm not too fussed with the amount of time. Um, I'd say, I, I don't think I could do longer than say five or six months. But just say it was to be longer than that, which I doubt it would be. I just want to make sure that I'm in a situation where I am relaxed and I'm not, you know, constantly like, you know, banging heads with coach, manager, athletes and stuff like that. So um, in an ideal world, you know, I'd, I'd do the the American part, the European part, maybe come home for a bit and then head back over for a championship or do America, come home, go Europe and then do the championship after that. So um, yeah, I, I think, I think two, three months is kind of a good, a good little. I always remember James Templeton when he was managing. He talked. He gave a talk and he said, "Radicia, you used to like to do six weeks, six weeks, yeah, then go home, yeah. and go back from it, yeah. and just keep it in short bursts." Yeah. In fact, you know, everyone is different. It's yeah, it's a little bit different as well for Australians because so, if you come home from Europe, it's twenty hours of flying. <coughs> you know, it's it, it's about it's twenty four hours of transit, so it's a bit harder for us. Um, you know, the Africans, they can usually do it in a 10 hour flight yeah. and it's just once. Same with the Americans. A lot of Americans go America, Europe, America, back to Europe. So it's like, and they do that in one season. So yeah. it's uh, it's pretty tough for us. So it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit of an art trying to work it all out and get yeah. it perfectly right. So that's why I like, you know, you got to respect people like, say Curtis Marshall in 2017 and yeah, um, 
trying to think who else ran really well. Say like Genevieve, you know, she, she, I think she came eleventh in the final, stuff like that. They were able to work it out in a way where um, they were, they did the whole stint overseas, and then they ran really well at the championship. So it's it's yeah, it's tough to get it all right and the timing right. And coming with that is some of the boredom of just, you know, you're in a hotel for a lot of time, what do you do? And uh, yeah, we're going to hear now from Luke about, you know, what it's like to, to deal with the, the downtime. Um, we're also going to get, um, you know, what's happening with his current training arrangement? This is quite an interesting conversation and the importance of uh, a strong athlete-coach relationship. We've been sort of giving him a taste. This camp was sort of to give them a taste of what it's like to be somewhere else and yeah. you've got downtime how do you what do you how do you deal with your downtime when you're away um at the start i was pretty bad at it i've i've like self-diagnosed myself with add so <laughs> i feel like I've, i always used to be needing to do something and i was like you know if i was here when i was say 18 or something like that i would have been going over there i probably would have tried to like swim in that lake and then go do some tennis or something like that over the back but um now i've kind of learned to like really almost like learn to get bored and like enjoy to get bored so a lot of napping and a lot of down like just netflix and stuff like that but um i also do uni as well online so that keeps me do you reckon that's important um i think it is because it's it it does kill time and it's also an outlet i think that a lot of people who are just 24 7 running um i've seen uh, it works for you know a lot of people but i've also seen a lot of people that just overthink it too much and they end up burning themselves out so for me, I, I think uh, university is a good outlet and it's a good distraction. Um, and yeah, and you know, I'm I'm certainly not going to retire running with a with nothing. Yeah, exactly. And you know, running doesn't really have a pension or anything like that. So yeah. you got to kind of have all your eggs in one basket, but just have one just tucked, tucked away, away a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good plan. But you have to be pretty 100% in running as well. So, um, but that's why I think the college system is pretty good. Because you, you have three or four years of, you yeah. know... To make that transition. Yeah, to, to get a degree. And then you, you're finished by the time you're 22, 21 or whatever it is. And um, you can start your professional career then. Yeah. That's what people like Pat Tierney and Morgan McDonald's about to do. So. Yeah. So where you are now, you're a bank um, training with mum. Yep. With Liz. Yep. How's that going? Um, we... <laughs> <laughs> I think that me and uh, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to. Like, obviously, she's my mum. But yeah. when we, the way that we speak, the way that we argue, the way that we like, you know, just like little, like, not insults, but little like put downs here and there. Like we kind of act as if we're almost like a friendship or like a brother and sister type thing. So um, we get along pretty well. But at the same time, when you get along with someone really well, I think that there's an equal downside. You you've argued pretty. Yeah. pretty heavily so and uh, we have a lot of disagree we we agree with a lot of stuff that happens on the track and the training but um not that i shy away from this like i usually like to have a fair bit of fun off the track and uh my mum isn't the biggest supporter of that but uh so we different from anyone else you're right yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you live at home yeah and i live at home so we we live in an apartment a two-bedroom apartment together and um two-bedroom apartment feels a lot smaller when it's with your coach <laughs> yeah. so uh, yes. now we have a good relationship and um you know if i mum heaps of times since i've i've come back to her has said do you think that i'm the right coach for you and i, I keep telling her hundreds of times ago if i wanted to be with someone else i would be with someone else so yeah um the way things are going right now i'm pretty happy and 
I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with how 2018 went and how I'm like progressing since my injury. So it's been good. How do you, who, who decides the program, Mum, or is it a joint team effort? Mum, Mum has the program. Um, she writes the program and she says, this is what we're doing. Um, I'll offer suggestions and we'll talk about stuff and we might talk about what we're going to do, say, a month in advance, but at the end of the day, she gets the final word. But um, she also understands that, you know, I know myself pretty well. I know running and athletics pretty well. Um, so we work it out together, but final word, say, is always Mum. And... Anything, anything that she says goes. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good. You've got, you, you're an adult, so yeah. you need to be treated like an adult, don't you? In those situations, yeah. which Mum's obviously doing. But then it's good to always have someone to make those final decisions to oversee your holistic. Program. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if you didn't have someone like that, everyone would coach themselves. So, um, and you know, there's not many self-coach. I can't even think of a decent self-coached athlete that goes these days. And then I compare that to my, you know, one of the reasons why I began to follow up with my old coach was that, um, you know, like I started to see flaws in the training that I was getting and I wasn't totally agreeing it and I wasn't 100% buying into it. And then, um, you know, a few months later, we ended up splitting up. So yeah. um, I think that's a kind of a good example that you, you need to, for me personally, I like to have a bit of a say. And as well as that, you also need to have 100% faith in yeah, the, the coaching that you're actually getting and yeah. doing so yeah so some really good stuff there isn't there sean just going into the the background of luke matthews yeah and i know from everywhere from junior to international ranks it, it can sometimes be a, a dividing topic in you know the parent um yeah or athlete in this parents, case yeah. a- athlete parent sort of coaching setup um for some it's seen as this sort of nightmarish setup that you can't switch off even when you walk in the door you know what's athletics what's parenting but at the same time you know some of the most phenomenal athletes we've ever seen in the sense of Seb Coe and yep. his dad Peter Coe who had no athletic experience was an, was an engineer um, you know they're, they're of you know um, Mondo Duplantis at the moment the Swedish pole vaulter um, he's coached by his dad you know we've got the Ingebrigtsens in Norway, you know, there are examples They're where it does work. At the moment too, aren't True, you can, you can cherry pick the good ones. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are ones that didn't work so well, but, you know, it is something there that Luke talks about having to manage and, and having to, you know, keep those clear lines of communication and, but and set he, those boundaries. As he says, if he wasn't happy and if it wasn't he working, it. he wouldn't do yeah. it. Yeah, and, and, and he's a guy where at his age and his ability... He still has that market value. It's not, um, you know, I don't know personally, but I can't imagine it's if, yeah, it's not as if he doesn't have, didn't have other options at the time. Um, so there obviously must be a, a sense of communication or, or assuredness there in, in having his mum set his program and, you know, knowing him very well. But what I'm excited for, though, is this learning curve for Liv, Liz Matthews as well. I think, you know, she's on the trajectory up. Mm. She might not always think that she's the best coach for him, but whatever they're doing, it, it, I, I think it's working. But then that that then transcends through to the other runners and athletes that Liz looks after. So yeah, her learnings then get shone upon this whole bunch of great kids that she's got there. Yeah, I think from the, the more conventional um, younger end of coaching, you know, you've got to work your way through, you know, whether it's little aths or, um, you know, even high school aths to, you know, state teams to junior teams to national teams. You know, it, it takes for some people, for some people it just, it just never happens or for some people it can take decades. Um, you know, Liz has sort of got, 
shoved into the spotlight there in the sense that, you know, you're not dealing with, oh, do we run states and try and break two minutes? It's, oh, what races do I do to qualify (laughs) for the World Championships, the Olympics, you know, dealing with those sort of really highly pressurised situations. That's right. And and also when you look that Morgan's now in that um, environment as well, I, I think that then provides a lot for Morgan. Um, if Liz didn't have the type of athlete like Luke, I think it might be harder for her to manage the Morgan situation. Yeah, That's and I think experience I think coaching is a game in Australia where people look at, you know, what you're seen to have been responsible for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that can only be good oh, you for... you can only Luke. point to the scoreboard. Yeah, and that can only be good for Liz in terms of if Luke and Morgan continue to perform well. You know, Liz becomes... And especially in the western suburbs as well. That's a big thing we don't want to forget. You know, we've got a lot of very good distance groups out there, you know, with... Peter Burke and Stu McCauley and, and those guys at what at times is, I guess, you know, they wouldn't mind us saying more of a, a state or national level, um, you know, does is Liz's sort of accumulated experience over this sort of international path. You know, I'm sure that'll flow down to, to other sort of, um, you know, geographical groups there and, and benefit everyone. Yeah, but, but the cooperation that I'm seeing with uh, Liz, with other coaches like, you know, Steve Fabry's obviously a great mm. example of that. And, yeah, with um, the St Kevin's group, yeah. Oh, and do you reckon that's helping some of those St Kevin's kids? Yeah, like I know Matt Hussey goes to St Kevin's, um, contrary to popular belief, not on a scholarship, um, had family that went there. Um, I know kids do cop it a bit on that front sometimes. Um, but... Uh, you know, they've shown there that, you know, Matt Hussey is a guy that was always coached by Peter Burke, yeah. but, you know, Burke, was realistic enough to know that if, you know, Matt's spending a lot of time at school, it, it's not, you know, oh, he can't be coached by someone else. No. It's more just having the lines of communication to say, hey, this is what I've got planned for him. How does that fit in with X? And if, you know, you can get bigger and bigger groups of coaches doing that, um, you know, everyone benefits from having more people to train with. Correct. So, you know, um, great for Luke to open up to us. And as I said, there will be more of this coming up in uh, future episodes of Down the Track. So what's coming up, Sean? I think, uh, as usual, uh, we're never sitting around twiddling our thumbs at AV. There's a lot, lot coming up. I'll start with uh, with the coaching courses. We went into detail and detailed all the dates last week. We won't go through that again. But if you are interested in starting that career in coaching or going to the next level or seeing other development opportunities available for you as a coach, log into your AV portal and go to those upcoming uh, mm. events. That uh, They're all there, so they're up there. Uh, interesting additions this week that we've thrown in, we're actually going to be doing some specific uh, running coaching courses for Spartan Australia. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? A little bit peculiar? Uh, A little bit peculiar, but we're looking at a little bit of joint venturing there with Spartan because uh, we see that there's a really niche thing here where they're doing some great events. I've got another one coming up in Melbourne fairly soon, which we'll do a bit of a promo of as well. But the endurance element of Spartan is quite important, and they recognise that with good running form as being necessary and the endurance. And, you know, well, we won't reveal too much, but we're starting to plan some, you know, potentially can AV do some things with with Spartan too using some of our stadiums. But Mm. uh, we'll hold back on that and hopefully uh, over a period of time we'll see if uh, there is some move there. But we're starting, we're putting, certainly putting a foot in the ground here with um, coaching courses and we've got two courses specifically for Spartan trainers coming up, which is exciting. On the uh, athletics front, we've also got the Shield final. It's the, uh, the big day of the year. 
massive day. Sean and I will be in the commentary booth, which Sean is looking forward to. He's just, you know, the big <laughs> smile on his face, so reading out 7,400 uh, metre races in a row. Is there anything better on a Saturday? There is nothing better, Sean. I've done it a few times, and you will love Shield Final. It's the big day of community athletics, um, under-14s through to the 50-pluses, lots and lots of racing, lots of excitement, so it's a big one. So that's on the 23rd, is it not, I think? Of, yes, it is, 23rd of February. The following two weekends, they're big, aren't they? Yeah, we've got our uh, our state track and field championships, which if anyone is listening to this and has any association whatsoever with a junior athlete who is looking to compete for the Victorian team at the Australian Junior Championships, please, please tell them they must compete at the Victorian Junior Championships. Even if you've got your national qualifier, even if you've got 10 national qualifiers, you have to compete at the Victorian Junior Championships to be eligible to nominate and enter. Thank you very much. Now, on the 16th, I think the Saturday, we've got High Velocity Club and the Throwers Club out at Ringwood. So that yep, should be so exciting. Good, good, um, good opportunities for people to get down there for some extra comp. Yeah, I'm not sure what the weather forecast like. Hopefully it's it's reasonable for Saturday and we can see some good... I guess so. I think this week's not supposed to be outrageously hot, so... Yeah, so yeah, hopefully, uh, once again, you know, we've, we've you know, plaudits to the, the sprint coaches and, and the sprinters for getting out mm. and supporting HVC. Now we're seeing that it is growing and mm. you know, let's see if we can get those numbers just up and up and, and you know... Yeah, it wouldn't be great to see 200, 250 sprinters at the same place at the same oh, time. It'd be fantastic. It would be good. We see it at Shield, though. We see some massive fields there in the sprints. Why not consider HVC as well? You know, on an off week, basically. Um, so that's coming up on the 16th. On the 19th, we've got Milers Club at Melbourne University, which is, you know, for a lot of us, it's one of the favourite meets. It's the atmosphere at uh, Melbourne Uni. Um, the, you know, the setting sun, the beautiful clock towers, all of that stuff, and we're running the classic distance mm. Mile. It's the 103rd running of the men's event and the 16th running of the women. So, yeah, look, the women haven't done nearly as many as championships. That's due to historical reasons. And also, got to bear in mind that during the 80s through the 90s and into the 2000s, the mile was basically dropped in Australia and hardly ever run. Mm. So that's a big one for us. It's usually one of the big crowds there. So Tuesday the 19th, uh, entries for that one close on Friday. So please get those entries in. So another great episode there, Sean. Really good to hear Luke Matthews, wasn't it? And um, tell you what, I really enjoyed having a chat to Morgan Mitchell. First time I've actually interviewed her. And, you know, you hear a lot of different things about Morgan, but, gee, I found her really approachable. One of, one of the really highlights parts of that, she didn't know the time when I wandered <laughs> over. So I got to let her know that she'd broken 2.04. And, <laughs> wow, there was a big reaction to that. And, and Liz was with her at the time. And, mm. um, you know, just seeing that coach, athlete you know joy and knowing that okay we've just achieved something that we're really going for nice to be part of that yeah athletics is a really weird sport like that i don't think we've i'm sure it does exist in many other sports but maybe doesn't feel like it exists as much in team sports i think because we do exist in these little satellite camps around the state you know it's basically chinese whispers and one thing leads to another and you know by the time you get to a mate you've got this completely different idea sometimes of people where you know if you have a chat to them they're actually you know either quite nice or a bit different to what you've heard or have got time for everyone and i think you know where you've touched on there you know for morgan even as an olympian and, and as someone who's competed at the highest level many times you know there's still the same nerves
nerves and pressure and yep. you know concern associated with um, you know can can I still do this? Am I am I still good at this? And yeah, you know, it's well, multiple. It's, it's amplified when you've well, when you've right. always been quite good. She's she's venturing off to something where you know the doubting Thomases are saying no, and that you still see it, you see it on online forums. And I know you've been part of those, some of these conversations. <laughs> For God's sake, give the girl. Oh, I'm a not go. a I'm not one to usually go keyboard warrior, but there there was a certain individual from the athletic community who made a pretty ridiculous statement uh, regarding Morgan's 800 running. And look, I don't I don't care who you are, but um. If you've had one race or one to two races with no pace over a completely new and completely different distance from what you're used to, and you are an athlete who's performed at the Olympic World Championship World Relay level, I just think it's... I I don't know what it... I don't know how we're benefited in our community by trying to tear people down yeah, and but, trying new things. But it's things. a trait of our community. Oh, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like it's tall poppy syndrome. It's, yeah. it's just terrible. You know, I think in, in many ways our greatest enemies are from within. Yeah, I, I don't see why you know Morgan adding another name, you know, using her as an example, I guess, adding another level of depth to women's 800 metre running doesn't benefit the whole community, you know, and especially someone who, you know, not to look into the crystal ball too much, but someone with that 400 metre speed, you know, if anything, if you're looking for someone who's going to drag races along at a very high pace, it's going to be her, you know, it's her or a, or a Ruby Renshaw, so, you know, people with that, you know, crazy 400 metre speed, be happy, this this will benefit you in races. But the key is, she's getting to 600 and still going on. Yeah. We've known that's always been the problem. That's always the tricky yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. she's got it, so... She's taken us a while to get to a rant in this episode, but it finally came. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I, yeah. I think we always try and keep this podcast, you know, informational, and we try and, you know, if, if there are corners of the AV world that you're not so familiar with, we do encourage you to, you know, listen and find out a bit about other parts. But at the same time, it's oh, sometimes you just shake your head and you just you'd prefer to see this, you know, this very small amount of domestic high performance competition that we are fortunate enough to see, and you know, we do people do seem to complain about so often when it is there. You know, try and be appreciative of those people getting out and, and competing when really you know there are, there are a lot of people that could just shut up shop and do nothing until Europe and, and yep. make teams and you know then we revert to having zilch yeah, so yeah. and look the Box Hill Classic was a great example of that it was oh, a great night yep. much else on for you in the coming weeks um, well I guess we, we do move into you know people getting themselves ready for yeah well all I guess, to be completely honest, on the state team front, I've got to go through about five to 700 entries and, and check and see who's who's being honest and, and who's not. So you will note that when you enter for uh, for junior nationals, at least, there's a there's a spot there where you've got a list where you performed your qualifier. And usually the juniors are really good. They're, they're quite honest. Um, but, yeah, in the seniors, last, the seniors, seniors last year, I had to pull 17 people out um, who did not have qualifiers. And, look, to be fair, one or two of them didn't quite understand the qualifying period, but there were a few that tried to sneak a time or two in. And, and just remember that that doesn't help at nationals. You know, if, if you're not making the qualifying standard, you know, it, the qualifying standard itself is a very, is a very I guess, soft indicator often of what a national championship performance requires. You will get thumped if you are not within that time. Um, and if anything, it, it does really stuff up the timetable. You know, this is something we see a lot in fours and eights, uh, you know, in having to have semifinals or really cutthroat heats and semis. If you don't have the time, don't go. Like it's just it's a waste of everyone's time. It's the nationals. Yeah, it's it's yeah, this is the thing, it's it's not a participation yeah. mate. Although yeah. in saying that, I reckon AA still have to do some revision of some of those qualifiers. There are some no, they, have, they haven't been touched for a very long time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And uh, I think they've got a there's you know I'll look yeah, the steeples is, is one. Yeah, a, a very long way out. Oh, yeah. it's a huge way out. Yeah, yeah. we have 
gone, you know, women's steeple in particular has moved on exponentially from when they set those yep. standards. And yep. what we're seeing now is multi-lapping and people who are not proficient at the steeple going to a national championship and putting their hand on the barriers. <laughs> yeah, and now, I, and that's I, okay for AV Shield, but if you go yeah. to a national event and you've got someone putting their hand on the barrier, no. they are not a steeple chaser. No. But and unfortunately, I, a weak yeah. standard. In, in men's or women's, you know, if, you, if you're getting lapped by one or two laps, it, yeah. it, it, it does beg the question is, you know, I know if... People do have the qualifying standard, you know, debatably they are able to be there, but th- there's got to be a level of, of, you know, contextual awareness of what you're going into and that whether it is, a, a you know, not quite as mainstream event, you know, as it used to be, the steeplechase, it's it's not an event that should be targeted for just mere, you know, saying you were there sort of well, status. Well, correct, that's what we find is the case. Mm. Two rants have come up there. Oh. We're, we're let, let, rip, let rip on a Tuesday. All right, on a really positive note, I'm off to Gippsland on the weekend down mm. to Sale, delivering a bit of a seminar there and um, having some really good conversations at the moment in Gippsland. We're really going to get wreck running, um, rocking and rolling in that way. Some very, very, very good people in the area. It's just going to take a little bit of coordination, but I think you know, maybe when we reflect in about a year's time, we're going to see what this might be the, the sort of catalyst to, to getting wreck running and a little bit of a cohesion amongst some of the disparate groups down there. Mm. So that's my weekend, a bit of a... Day trip to style. Brilliant. So that's a wrap there on episode eight. Once again, hopefully you found this informative. Once again, we are looking for people to, to supply information to us as well. So just email over Sean or Tim at asfic.org.au. Willing to follow up on any leads, willing to, to go down any avenues of interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly we just want to continue the quality and bringing good content to the athletics crowd in Victoria and hopefully a little bit across the country. So thanks again, Sean. Been great talking to you. Thanks for having me, Tim, and we'll uh, we'll see you all soon.